This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. The gang's gathered. And uh, today, uh, it's Monday. We're taking it on again. A whole new week. Come on, Monday. Come on. What's the worst thing that could happen on a Monday? Right. I mean. Uh, hmm, that's kind of brave. It is brave. There's all kinds of things that could happen on Monday. Well, at least BYU's not playing on Monday. <laughs> they had a uh, They had a game. Yes, they did. Who'd they play again? I can't even. Mississippi State. Oh, that's right. I turned that off. because They got know. 10 points. Yes. <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's, I mean, they're the deal. After Mississippi State was on cruise control. Oh, look, a touchdown. Yeah. Good job. It's got to be kind of nice for Mississippi State because they play some serious competition. They do. They can't have a week off. Have a little break a little in the stretch. middle of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Uh, apparently, they're getting a little handle on the fires. That's what they're saying. Devastating. The pictures the are wind, unbelievable. The wind could pick back up, and yeah, everything can change again. Yeah, but um, uh, a lot of it, I, I think uh, I mean better news. They're slowly starting to make some headway there, and um, we'll be covering all of that. But let's get to the headlines. By the way, uh, Jeff's still out. Cole's filling in for oh, Jeff today. Did you see what happened? No. What? Walk off. Oh yeah. Grand oh. slam. He's going to walk in here all Is that the game gloating. that Jeff went to as well? Because not, I know the no, rumors Saturday? were he, he wanted to. to uh, yeah, I think, or was it Friday? Or I, I think he went to the first game. Okay. Not okay. the second Because game. last night. Because that would have been unbearable for yeah. him to come back. I'm, I'm scrolling oh. through whatever social whatever thing I was on. And, uh, they got a grand slam. He's going to be talking about that the whole time. No, he won't. And it was on the anniversary he of won't. a historic grand slam. No, he won't. The 50th like walk-off the, ever no. in playoff yeah, history. Oh, he will be talking brutal. about the nachos. Oh, you're right. Let's get real. He'll mix in the grand slam, though. Yeah, but I think his big love isn't the sport. Is it just the food? Mm-hmm. While you... Like, See, it's the food and I, the movies. The baseball that they make games about I've been food. to, there's not a lot of people actually watching the game. Well, yeah, they're all kind of watching it's, everything else. It's a long game. It's baseball. Yeah, <laughs> it's. But I mean, it's fun for. I mean, Joe Cannon loves the Dodgers too. So he does. Well, we could like talk to Joe. He'll hype it up. You may have to inform him on the events of yesterday. Oh, yeah, that's true. Good point. Let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's going on around the country? For the nearly 11,000 firefighters battling the towering flames from the now 15 wildfires around California, there's finally hope and a chance of rain. Despite one less fire, the dry bone or the bone dry conditions and the gusty Diablo winds still haven't receded, forcing Devil officials yeah, to uh, not downgrade. Now, they're called uh, Santa Anita? No. Yeah, Santa Ana winds. Santa Ana winds yeah. in, the, in the southern part of the state and the Diablo winds oh, wow. in the north. We learned that last week. So uh, the, the forcing officials, they have not downgraded the high fire danger status. These low humidity, gusty wind conditions continue to mire first responders engaged in the fight to defeat the blazes that have turned to ash so much of the rolling hills that compromise the state's prized wine country. On Saturday night, officials announced a death toll increased from 38 to 40. The blazes, among the deadliest in state history, have charred more than 217,000 acres, mm. forced about 75,000 residents to evacuate, and damaged or destroyed at least 5,700 homes and businesses, according to the 5, California... 5,700 yeah. buildings and homes. Unbelievable. But they are seeing the wind is dying down. There's some rain in the forecast, so we'll see where that goes here in the next couple of days. Holy cow. Okay. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on Sunday again refused to deny that he called President Trump a moron. 
This was on NBC News. He Did was on he, Face he refused to deny it? Yeah. No, okay. Asked or him, admit he goes, it, really. I'm not going to deal with that kind of petty stuff, he said on CNN. This is a town that seems to relish in gossip, humor, or rumor. I said humor because yeah. it was kind of one of those well, slip things. Some would say it's a humorous um, rumor. Innuendo, and they feed on it. They feed on one another in a very destructive way. I don't work that way. I don't deal that way, and I'm not going to d- dignify the question. I call the president Mr. President. The alleged remark comes as questions swirl over Trump's relationship with his, his secretary of wow. state. But now that's twice where it's like, did you call him this? And he didn't say no. What does that mean, Dr. I'll, Matt Townsend? It means that he wants to change the subject. Is that what it like, if you're if you're counseling with people, yeah, and one of them says you called me this, and they refuse to say no, they just try to change the subject. What is that telling you as as someone you, who's trying to help them through this? You moment? cannot not communicate. Okay, so he's communicating. I did call him a name, but when I talk to him face to face, I call him Mr. President. Right, and he is right. This is juvenile. No, oh, it is. This totally. is pointless. Totally. It is funny though. But it's. I mean, it's also it is juvenile, and it is. But if it's what happened. Yeah, it's just. Am I, am I wrong in finding some sort of pleasure, pleasure and humor yeah. in all this situation? That's the sick side of you. Is it? Mm-hmm. I just I like I like how it's uncomfortable. It's like <laughs> just say yes or no. Well, he can't. I know, but so he let's just, be honest with ourselves here. But everyone knows. <laughs> I, well, that's the other part that I find funny. Everyone knows. He denies it, but everyone's like, "Well, that's twice now." Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, there's just some things you just take care of quickly, and you're done. But you can't talk your way out of that. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, the free agent quarterback who protested police brutality by kneeling during the national anthem, has filed a grievance alleging that the NFL and the league's owners have colluded to keep him off the field because of his kneeling. Attorney Mark Garagos has sent a copy of his complaint to the NFL, all 32 teams, and the NFL Players Association saying that they have colluded to deprive Mr. Kaepernick of employment rights in retaliation for Kaepernick's leadership and advocacy for equality and social justice and Mm. his bringing awareness to peculiar institutions still undermining racial equality in the United States. Kaepernick, who's Filing demands an arbitration hearing left the Fort San Francisco 49ers in March. In a statement Sunday night, Garrego said the grievance was filed only after pursuing every possible avenue with all NFL teams and their executives. So it's not his failing play that's kept him out of the NFL. It's the coaches and the administration of each of the teams. Well, here's... Here's the thing here. Over six seasons in his career, right? Yeah. Kaepernick appeared in two NFC championship games, Yeah, was five yards away from a Super Bowl ring, outplayed two-time MVP Aaron Rodgers on two separate occasions during the 2012 and 2013 seasons, despite putting together the fifth-best touchdown-interception ratio in league history, Kaepernick has remained a free agent. 39 quarterbacks, not including draft picks or players who have re-signed with their teams, were promoted from practice squads who have signed before Kaepernick. But was that in his first two years in the NFL, or was that in his last four years in the NFL? What do you mean? Those numbers. It said in the first six years, but right. he, he had a stellar yeah, he first sat, two seasons. Yeah, he sat his first year, because out of UNR, okay, so, he was a very yeah, raw right. prospect. And then in 2012 was okay, when yeah. he actually there went are, to the Their Super argument Bowl. is, is there are players being put in as like the second, maybe third string, even a practice squad quarterback. Oh, yeah. Right. That he is... Better Head and than. shoulders over, better yeah. than. Now, he, he but, plays a specific style that may not work with every single team, right. but he's trying to say that I am that the league is 
not like he people have come to him coaches have talked to him like okay we're mm-hmm. working on this and then like a week later everyone's quiet no one wants to talk to him but now what but i guess the point is they're having players kneel on almost every team right so why would they not care because Kaepernick, he, would, he if was he's so the, good he was the first one he's the one that is the the face the you don't know i mean all the other players that are doing this they're not getting the notoriety that he has gotten as being labeled and attached to this he's protest. The, so he's the, they think he's the cause. Even though he's not in the league, whenever it's talked about, it's Kaepernick. Kaepernick did this. And so they feel like the league has just sort of blackballed him to this, the, the mm. idea you're not going to be P. in the league. They roasted him. Yeah, so he's accusing mm. them of that. There's no, I mean, I don't know how you prove that. No. Someone's got to step up and say, yes, this is true. Well, it no seems like, again, that. some of these teams need a quarterback Badly, Aaron Rodgers from yeah. the Green Bay Packers broke his collarbone yesterday. He may be out for the rest of the season. They're not going to talk to Kaepernick. Could it be not just the kneeling, but could there be just other personality issues? Possibly. I don't know. I don't know what his personality is But no like. one talks about that. They no. just don't even bring him up. There was in the preseason the owner of the Baltimore Ravens at a fan fest. Someone asked him about Kaepernick, and he goes, this is a tough decision. I need you all to pray for me. So I can figure this out. It's kind of odd having an NFL player, NFL owner ask hmm. the fans to pray for him about a personnel decision. And oh, then wow. he went and consulted with Ray Lewis. That's right. And then it didn't happen. So. Then it didn't happen. It's just okay, I, there it's... seems to be a lot of evidence showing that he has the talent to be a second string, third string yeah, quarterback. Yeah, he doesn't have to yeah. prove that he's a well, top but 32 guy. But I know, but I guess if you're going to put somebody as a third string quarterback, you probably don't want a lightning rod. And that's what he's saying. Is you're not. I know, but not, I guess, but I know, but that's you know that you, but, you can do that, right? I mean, but if all the entire league has colluded to say nobody, nobody hire this guy. Yeah, that's there's wrong. Labor issues, right? You can't do that. Now, if they're looking at like talent, or if you're bringing more headaches, and it's an individual decision yeah. by every team, great. But yeah, that'd he be does, interesting. Yeah, but they, but they don't think they, that's the case. Yeah. How do you prove collusion? I guess that's right. You'll need an NFL note or letter from, you know. There's an email Goodell somewhere saying, hey, that paper trail. Yeah. And finally, yeah. when China launched its first space station in 2011, it had the greatest ambitions of using the craft to set up a larger space complex. Mm. But the Chinese space agency lost control of the space station in September 2016. And now experts predict the eight-ton aircraft will, or craft, will come crashing back to Earth within months. Uh-oh. Worryingly, experts are unsure precisely when the space station will head towards Earth or where the debris will land. Chinese officials confirmed they had lost control of the spacecraft in September 2016 and now predict that it will come down to the Earth between October 17 or 2017 and April 2018. Is in, a, in any way, is this controlled? No. So it could fall anywhere. It's just junk in orbit that's going to come down. Oh, wow. This is like this is kind of like death roulette. Yeah. If you thought the cable company gave you a large window of arrival, that is a six-month possible land yeah, time. Yeah, when the so cable between... company shows up, they don't show up with this big piece right. of metal. I mean, they put some holes house. in your wall. <laughs> so it's between now and April. Oh wow! Just Make look that for work. it. So, yeah. No, this is exciting. Now the plus side. Yeah, the vast majority of the planet's water versus land. Right. right? There's more water than land, so most of the stuff will probably just hit the water, but who knows? But if you're, you know, what if it landed in a in New York City? Be a great movie. That would make noise. Yeah, it would. Scary. But yeah, they just they lost control of it and now they have no way of uh altering its trajectory. I guess we could try to shoot it out of the sky, but they usually just makes more debris. 
What if we yeah. sent uh, a couple miners up there to try to drill a hole in it before it gets here? That could that could happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not a bad idea. And we could get we could like I don't know give them the opportunity that if they were successful we could erase all their criminal histories. Mm-hmm. That could work. Is wow. Ben Affleck still available? Sounds like a he's movie. around. Hmm. Sounds like a really good movie you guys have just created. Yeah, yeah. you guys ought to write a script. Or just go rent one. It'd be like an Aerosmith soundtrack. It'd be great. Holy cow. That's so, a really good idea. So there you go. We have collusion um, and spacecraft crashing. And miners apparently possibly with criminal records going to solve a problem. But they're space. lovable criminals. Of course. They always are. No. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is out. He is. My wife's fantasy football quarterback. She is not happy. Oh, did she get? Yeah. Well, we went and looked and there's, there's no good quarterbacks left that haven't been selected. Kaepernick. Right? So well, he's Kaepernick's not. He's not in the league, so they can't pick him on the fantasy. Yeah, team. just you know, she. So now she has to send out an email to her, her office and say, "Hey, if anyone has an extra quarterback, we're looking to deal." Well, she's no, she's dead in the water. So then, no, no one's going to give her. And that. then she has to. She says all deals will have to be through her player personnel general manager, which is me. Oh. And I will make sure that she's not getting just completely robbed. Yeah. Well, but within reason, because she doesn't need a quarterback. And what's she got to barter with? Nothing. Well, she has a couple of good players. Yeah, she'll have to trade good players for yeah. a quarterback. Well, you want value, you got to trade value. That's a big deal. Yeah. What uh, um, they, they say they may change a rule in the NFL because of what happened to him. Do you know what that's about? Um, I'm not sure. Like a safety rule, like he was driven to the ground afterwards. Yeah. It's a collarbone thing, yeah. and the defender could have pulled up, could maybe. And yeah. then when he did make contact, he did do a little driving afterwards. The ball was clearly gone, and the 300 pounder kind of fell on him. So, yeah. Makes did you tough. see by chance the uh, the Miami? Who was it? Uh, uh, the tackle by that Miami guy that picked up the guy and put him on oh, his shoulders. Oh, he like and caught the receiver and walked him, him like in the air 15 yards him, yeah. back yeah, instead really of great. just destroying him like he wanted to. Yeah, yeah we need to post that video because that's it. absolutely hilarious seeing yeah. a pro football player being carried on some other just guy's picked the guy up and kept walking. The receiver just sort of probably, he just he didn't like fight or complain, just sort of no. wrote it out. But man, yeah. he's probably like, wow, I could have been dislocated from my shoulders here. He, he could have been like totally slammed to the ground. But that was a very nice defender. <laughs> Except he did destroy his, you know, his public persona and what? his image. Because he didn't follow through with the hit. No, because he he carried. If you were the running back that was or the receiver that mm-hmm. was carried like a little baby for fifteen yards. Oh, I guess you're right. You're humiliated. There you go. Yeah. So in the locker room, the rest of his my kids were dying laughing. Nah, 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 nah. That's like I would have rather been thrown down. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but there is a really. Um, Powerfulish, popular, rich—not popular, kind mm. of creepy at times—publisher um, that is offering yeah. ten million dollars. I saw the story. I'm like, yeah, I can't for really anybody that can up. get information to impeach Trump. Yeah, it won't work. But nice little publicity thing he did. Yeah, but ten. How much money to totally fabricate a story and then pass it off as real? But it, ha- it can't be fake news. Yeah, right? it's gotta, it has to. It's gotta it work. Have to lead uh. to impeachment. <laughs> it's just dumb. It is. $10 million. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else was I going to bring up to you, talk about? Oh, um, the did you hear Steve Colbert's little talk about Trump's say? IQ? What did it, no. I, I think I have a video at my desk I haven't watched It was watched brutal. Yet, is it really? It was seriously brutal. Okay. That I thought for sure you would have been. Not yet. It's been a busy weekend. Oh, really? What did you do? Just uh, 
a lot of yard work. Well, yard work. We we had uh, dinner with the in laws, oh, so yeah. that took some time. My kid was with the uh, his aunt. They went to a oh. amusement park for the weekend, type of thing. Really? Yeah, it was great. So we're like without one of the kids. So we, just... we had the little one. She's fine, but the six year old's a pain. He's gone though. I mean, a good pain. It's that good pain, but it's that also like it's like everyone had a little vacation for the weekend. Did he? And he had fun. Oh, he had tons of fun, and they came back, and he was just great. How long was he at that amusement park? He left Friday night, slept over at the aunt's house, and then he was there for the entire day and was back home around 4 o'clock. Wow. So it was like the an enti- – it was almost – it was close to 24 hours without a six-year-old. What a wonderful aunt. Yeah. And she had fun, apparently. Yeah. She does this every once in a while. She'll just take the kids. I'm like, yeah, sure, go. <laughs> Great. Well, next them. time she needs to take the girl. Well, she's kind of small. Makes it kind of tough when you want to go have fun. Mm. Yeah. You do it. Well, we don't have fun. We, I mean, the the well, we could do more if she was mobile. Wait till they're older, right? Yeah, they'll have a they'll have a voice in what they want to do, though. Yeah, a lot of that will probably end up. I don't want to do that with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, and so you stay home, and they end up having fun. That's true. But, but fun, honestly, that's but fine. fun, but fun is better. It's like I don't have to worry about where you are. I love it. I love it when my kids, well, they all have something to go do. I'll even drive them. Hmm. Drop them off. Call me later. So kind of busy weekend with with kids gone. I'm trying. I mean, do you think I'd have more free time? Yeah, but I had no. less. Not for whatever reason, thing. I had things to do. I spoke uh, at a, to a conference with the governor. The governor. Oh, that's right. How did and that the go? First lady, it was awesome. Do people politely applaud? Did it feel like no. they were into Standing your message? Home. Oh, really? No, wow. No, no. It was great though. But I had this really magical moment. I told I, I don't know if I've ever told the story about when I I've I've fell 150 feet once mm. and um, survived. Oh, apparently, yes. Yeah, because I'm still here. Yeah, 150 feet. So I told my story of my 150 foot fall, and nobody believes it, but it's it's true. Wow, it's actually like it wasn't all the supporting evidence. It wasn't 100 feet. It wasn't 150 feet high. Okay. The fall, I like. I didn't fall off a cliff. Okay, 150 feet. I fell 150. Sideways? Feet. Well, I would no. <laughs> I tripped. I tri- it's like on a skateboard or something. You I've fell got, sideways. I've got delicate ankles. Right. We've discussed this. Yes. But I, I, I tripped and I fell. But I, I ended up trying to outrun the fall. Have you ever done that? Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. been falling and your brain's like, no, let's just try to outrun this sure. one. You figure you move your feet fast enough, yeah. get them back underneath you, you're good. But I had a bad leg because right, yeah. I had tripped a little mm-hmm. bit and sprained it a little bit. So I tried to outrun it, and I, in my running, I basically ran 150 feet okay. as I was falling. Ah. So I really only fell about five feet, right. five, and, five, and, five and a half feet, five feet, 10 inches, five mm. feet, 11 inches. You needed that yakety sax music underneath it. Yeah, I wasn't in the moment. To... In the moment, I had a hard. I would have had a hard time putting the music on. Yeah, you need to put music to that because it sounds. It sounds like you were maybe flailing your arms a little bit. Uh huh. Really, kind of awkwardly. With, with every inch of altitude loss, yeah. I had to gain about you know, two or three miles an hour faster in speed. Wow. Yeah, and there's just a point where no, you're yeah. only going to go so fast. That's now. right. And then there's a point you're like pretty much horizontal. Wow. While you're running on your tippy toes. W- where did this happen? Um, it had happened <clears throat> two times. <laughs> okay. It's a yeah. reoccurring thing with you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't like to talk much about it. Like at your home, at a business? It was on a walk. Okay. Here, here on campus. We were actually, no, that, oh. that actually, that I just fell straight down. I didn't yeah. fall very far. I just fell to the ground right Which there. might be the better approach. No, I've learned that now. Just dignity saving. 
yeah. process. I mean, if you're into saving your dignity, right. that's a good way to do it. But I instead usually just like to fall and run, see if I can outrun it. Okay. And when I can't, then I just think to myself, all right, just take it. Just take it like a man. Ma- just fall. Ma- might I suggest uh, practicing a roll? No. As you fall, maybe if you turn it into a roll, then people don't go, wow, that dude fell. They go, that was odd. That guy just rolled for some reason and then just move on with the well, day. Well, yeah. You've either got to try to outrun it. Okay. Well. Or just take it. Hmm. It's really hard to do both because by the time you're running as fast as you can, the roll really doesn't work. But if you practice it, it just becomes second nature and you just do it instead of having to think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a reflex. Whereas right now you're trying to save yourself but from falling. Shouldn't I just practice just a different approach. not falling? Well, there's that. It seems like if you're going to exercise effort to practice, it might be better to practice so not falling. What are you doing that you need to practice more? Lifting your feet up, not shuffling no, as much? It's my. I just need to tape my ankles before I walk anywhere. Okay. Well, Every morning I like to wake up and tape my ankles now. That's probably a good practice. I mean all the pro athletes do it. They do. So do I. I'm a pro-ish athlete. Up next, Joe Cannon will be joining us. Joe uh, in the know, we call him. He is our Washington insider. We just like to have him on the show, pick his brain, find out what he thinks is really going on in the world of politics. Up next, folks, uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, you said it. Uh, it's By the way, we forgot to announce this. President Donald J. Trump proclaims October 15th through the 21st. So this week has been proclaimed as National Character Counts Week. And so we thought, what better way to start the week off than to bring in a man with incredible character. He's not a character. He has incredible character. Joe Cannon to uh, help us understand what's going on back in the world of politics. We call Joe, Joe in the know. He is uh, a good friend of the show, also is CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, uh, an organization that is trying to lower fuel costs around the or in the United States. So, Joe, welcome to the program, my friend. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Now, hey, by the way, congrats to the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're up two games. Oh, yeah, but it's, you know, because I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, here, that's right. Uh, Baseball is, you know, has all kinds of mysteries, and but it just happens that only two Dodgers in history have hit walk-off home runs yeah. in a post-series game, and the first one was the famous Kurt Gibson, which oh yeah, knows, that big famous home run. Yep. that was exactly 29 years ago. From from today or from when he hit it yesterday? No, no for yesterday, from yesterday. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Justin Turner is the second Dodger. And, of course, we know what happened in 1988, the last time, yeah. you know, almost ancient history, that the Dodgers <laughs> won the World Series. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, maybe there's something there. There is. Hey, maybe. And, and there's a, a lot of weird stuff going on in some of the other games as well. So maybe it's – maybe this is the year of destiny, even though they struggled. But – um they, I mean, they obviously didn't struggle enough. Oh, well, and 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 Kershaw still has the postseason curse. He he did not turn in a great first game. Mm. Um, in fact, our our own Jeff Simpson was at the first game. He was oh, really? there, yeah, wow. taking it all in, yeah, with his brothers. Uh huh. 
So so wow. life life is good. Maybe he had something to do with uh, getting them on on course. Hey, um, hey we're gonna we're gonna credit Jeff uh, BYU Radio anytime we can. That's right. Any anytime we can get somebody in a stadium like that, then it's probably BYU's fault. Hey, um, talk about uh, McConnell, President Trump. Uh, picked up the phone, called Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. They haven't necessarily been on great terms. Uh, in fact, Mitch McConnell's been thrown <laughs> under the bus quite a bit. Uh, what? What do you? And I guess they're going to be meeting today or or soon. And what's what's that like? I mean, how do you meet with somebody that's been blaming you for every problem? Well, you know, it, it, I think President Trump has a really interesting good cop, bad cop approach where he's both the good cop and the bad cop <laughs> uh, at the same time. You know, so he'll, he'll, uh, I mean, he's had a lot of venom and anger against, um, Rand Paul. Yeah. And, he wheels, and they went golfing. Paul out. Yeah. Well, when they went golfing yesterday and then he wheels them out on his healthcare announcement, um, executive order. I don't know. <laughs> it's really interesting. I think, um, but both the president and Majority Leader McConnell have a lot to win, to gain, or to lose mm. if things don't come together. So I think, uh, you know, the old politics makes strange bedfellows. Oh, these two people shouldn't be particular strange bedfellows, but um, but they are. And but if they if they don't succeed in some part of their agenda, then they're putting the House and the Senate. I think the House and the Senate at risk. They all know that, and so um, they're trying to figure out what to do, how to how to how to move forward from here. It's a uh, so, yeah, they really yeah, live yeah, or die, don't they? They live or die yeah. together. Yeah, so they're breaking bread. I think I've <laughs> noted uh, that's too long of a discussion, but you, you can argue that a very substantial contributor to President Trump becoming president was Mitch McConnell's refusal to uh, put forward a Democrat judge for the Supreme Court. That's true. And, uh, and, and, and giving uh, candidate Trump the opportunity to say, I'm going to name one of these people, all of whom were, uh, were more than acceptable to most conservatives. So, and that really is the only success right. that the president has had so far. I mean, dramatic success, it seems like. Well, you know, um, like irrever- I mean, not you can't reverse that one. If you get that, you cannot reverse that one. It's true. But uh, another area that he's been, I think, pretty successful in. We've talked about this. It's so boring. It's you know, most people don't care about it. But the whole area of regulatory reform and looking at the vast number of regulations that regulate, you know, every part of our lives. Right. Uh, I would say honestly, and I was involved in the Reagan administration on regulatory reform issues very intimately. And, and this administration is moving faster, farther, more effectively than Ronald Reagan did, at least in attacking the regulatory administrative state. That's, and I guess, is that, um, is that by, uh, by executive order? Is that, is that, is that how the administration works on that? Well, it's partly executive order. He's issued, I think, three executive orders that touch on regulation and how you deal with regulation. So that's one one thing. But mostly what he's done is that there's a mechanism within the Office of Management and Budget. There's a matter of what's called the Office of uh, uh, Information and Regulatory Analysis. But it it is uh, 
the president is requiring the agencies to carefully review every regulation, to spend more time on the costs and benefits of the regulations, to replace two regulations for every one That's right. that it proposes. And uh, honestly, I thought really at the beginning when I first heard that, that was a really stupid idea. But then I heard, you know, a professor at George Washington, kind of the architect of it, give a lecture. And, you know, this works in a number of other countries. Uh, so I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's a, a lot to the regulatory reform. And I would say that's, that's part of the agenda that's moving forward well. The judges, it's not just the Supreme Court yeah. justice, which is very important, obviously, but, but he's appointing dozens. It has the possibility the possibility of appointing dozens and dozens of judges to the course of appeal and uh, the district courts, all of which have uh, a significant role to play. So Congress yeah, has a lot to back, get back, done. Back, yeah. yeah. But back to, yeah, back to the, the real question, you know, the, the, the Trump McConnell, I don't want, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's big enough to be a rapprochement yet, but uh, <laughs> the fact that they're breaking bread and talking about, really important issues. It's really interesting to what comes out of this. Yeah. Like uh, there's a whole list of stuff that that Congress has got on their plate. They need to get government funded by December 8th. The debt ceiling needs to be lifted by December 8th. They're dealing with additional uh, Iran-related bills. DACA needs to have some, you know, something solidified uh, to the tax reform. I mean, so Really, and and they need to get this stuff done right because they they've got next next year's uh, a new election right for for many of the Congress. Well, it's for, yeah, for obviously all of the House members and a third of the Senate, and um, it's it, it's a huge opportunity for Republicans if they don't blow it because most of the senators up for re-election in 2018 are Democrats, many of whom are in red states or states that that gave uh, Trump, uh, you know, big majorities. So there are, there are high stakes here, but they, they could blow it if they don't do some of the things that they said they were going to do. I think of the whole list of things, they're going to do something on the budget. They're going to yell and scream about the budget and, and uh, funding the government, debt ceiling and funding the government, but that'll get done. But the real hard thing is, are they going to get anything done on tax reform? Or not, because that is a crucial. It was a crucial promise, but it's it's more than that. You cannot escape your DNA. Hmm. Our DNA. We had lots of smart, brilliant founders. You know, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, uh, James Madison. You can keep naming lots of uh, geniuses that had put a lot of thought into the Revolution and a lot of thought into America's founding structure. But until the taxes, the stamp taxes, that's what sparked the revolution. That's what turned it on, I mean, yeah. And, and uh, you know, taxes taxes are just at the core of our DNA, and they mean a lot. Uh, George H.W. Bush was not president because he went back on his uh, no new taxes, read my lips. And there, there are many examples, you know, throughout political examples, or examples throughout political history. Where you got to get a ride on taxes, or yeah. you're you're in trouble. So true. No I'm new taxes. Is is it possible? Um, I keep hearing, you know, and you never know what's real anymore. But um, that 
it, because if Congress turned, let's say Congress turned back into the hands of Democrats, I mean, it, I guess, is there a threat of impeachment? Well, yeah, there's always a threat. I mean, not always. Yeah, clearly a lot of Democrats have, especially the further left you go in Congress, the more they've called for impeachment. On the other hand, you have some, including, I think, Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein, and maybe, I think I saw something by the Minority Leader Schumer that said, let's not get too carried away on the talk of impeachment. Impeachment's a very hard, long, arduous, process and um you know you can't impeach somebody well you could if you if you really owned all of the house in the senate but you you can't impeach somebody just because you have deep 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 political differences yeah and you question the style and the judgment and the capacity of the president there has to be more than that and i think the democrats understand that they can they know that even if there's a switch in the senate Still, I think it's a uh, two thirds or three quarters to to uh, to impeach, mm. and I just I just don't see that. But yeah, you just you just hear it, and you never know what's real anymore um, by what they're throwing out there. Also, another big thing is, and talk about this: um, the Trump decertifying and threatening to kill the Iran deal altogether. What what really is the difference? And because he's been against it, his his followers are against it, but um, it seems like a lot of the government itself, a lot of um, other politicians are like, this is legit. This deal that we made with Iran is is legit. Yeah, well, I think I think even the president sort of recognizes that in uh, in his statements about it. I mean, he has obviously campaigned against the deal, and lots of people think uh, the deal is a is a bad deal. I think a, a lot, I don't think very many people think it's, well, very many Americans, even policymakers think it's a good deal, mm. but they, but they do think it's a deal. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the, the, the subtext we hear of the opponents to breaking the deal are, look, we, we made a deal. We ought to keep our deals. So he stopped short of, walking away from the deal but i think he wanted to put a uh, a lot of pressure I mean, he he mentioned some you know serious things i'm i'm not an expert in this by, by a long way but uh he 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 mentioned you know that look we we don't get the inspections we want uh we're we're not uh, you know they're 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 continuing to make these advanced centrifuges um so i mean he mentioned some mm. uh you know some some specifics but there, the he, he stopped short of uh, busting the deal. But he did he didn't stop short. I think I think what you see the overall context of this is, is President Obama had a foreign policy, and I, I'm I'm going to say this in the most neutral way possible. A lot of people thought it was anti-Israel. I'm not going to argue that right now. But I will say that it was clear that Obama's policy was to shift the axis of power among the Islamic states to Iran and away from Saudi Arabia and, and Egypt. Hmm. And President Trump's policy uh, on the Middle East, again, not even getting to Israel, but it's to shift that axis away back from Iran, back to Saudi Arabia and their allied states. So I think the, the background of all of this is really a shift 
uh, you know, you hear all last week there are all kinds of stories about uh, President Trump undermining or taking away, eliminating many of President Obama's initiatives, and they mostly focus on health care and taxes and other things. Yeah. But I think this is a big one. This one is where where you're 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 making a major geopolitical shift. Uh, you know, Obama went was going on in the Iran, Iran direction. And uh, Trump is going back to the Saudi Arabia direction. It's it's I think it, that whole that's the whole subtext of, about what's going on. Like he didn't just he didn't just uh, not certify. He also imposed um, tougher sanctions on yeah. the Revolutionary Guards, basically saying, "Look, you know these guys they're not not only corrupt; they are the the source of an enormous amount of terrorism." Mm. I mean, that's so, so it's a whole strategy. There's some strategy going on here where, where it goes to repudiating the deal. I, I obviously I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I guess nobody really does. But to think of it that, um, that that's the subtext to the whole thing, that's pretty interesting as well. It's also uh, what do you think? I mean, it really does seem like, you know, edict, uh, not edict, but line by line, he's slowly d- disassembling. Obama, Obama's legacies. And what do you think about cutting Obamacare subsidies? Um, I mean, I, I get it. You don't want you don't want Obamacare to work. But it also seems like you're going to set up bigger problems for voters. Yeah, no, it's a, that is a very interesting. And especially in a year where they're going to be voting. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting gambit because I think what really happened here, well, there's one technical explanation that basically he said and and some conservatives have said that, well, he's just now obeying the law. There's no money appropriated for this. Mm. There's not a legal way to pay it. You know, But on the other hand, he's been paying it and he said he might continue to pay it if. And this is where I think the whole calculus comes into play. I think he's. Uh, he does want to dismantle Obamacare. And he's kind of said, like Obama said, I've got a pen, you know, and a phone too. So he's doing what he can administratively. But I I really think this tactic was aimed at pushing it back to Congress and saying, Mm. look, what's true is you, Congress, have not appropriated money for this. And this is clearly a bipartisan issue. So... And outcome of this could be Democrats and Republicans get together at least on this aspect of Obamacare and and kind of wrestle it to the ground and say, okay, how do we fund these uh, six eight million really poor people who are subsidized by payments from the government to insurance companies? And that that's the technical legal part is that there's not any legal authorization yeah. for that payment. But again, I say, I don't want to go to carry on this. The, the simple fact is they have been making those payments without that authorization. And President Trump said, I may continue to make those payments if I see serious action on the part of the Congress to deal with this issue. Yeah, that's so, interesting. <laughs> he's, and he's got him playing ball now. Now, I mean, you got to play ball or you're going to be facing this in the election. Yeah, but it's uh, like you pointed out. It's a very two-edged sword uh, if you're a Republican. Oh yeah, you're gonna. A lot of the states. I saw one analysis, you know, that shows that 
the states that are disproportionately hurt by this action happen to be deep red states that were affected, you know, right. that, that, uh, that elected uh, Trump. So, Oh, boy. Uh, by the way, did you hear about President Trump's comment that uh, his presidency is substantially ahead of schedule on, uh, you know, delivering on his campaign promises? Well, I think, yeah, I think what he actually said is I don't have a schedule, but if I did have a schedule, we're ahead of it. We're ahead uh, that, of it. <laughs> I think that's the actual, the actual <laughs> quote. Well, I, you know, uh, wow. There hasn't been congressional action on a lot of things. Uh, on the other hand, he has moved the ball forward very substantially on say, international relations, uh, on regulatory stuff. So I, th- I think he's had a lot of successes there, but he hasn't had some success, at least in Congress, on some of the biggest issues that he campaigned on. So, right. So, at the end of the year, it gets. <laughs> but he doesn't have a schedule. But if he did, he'd be ahead. And, uh, yeah, and, I don't. Hey, I, I think you said I don't have a timetable schedule. I don't remember the exact words. Yeah. But, but if I did, I'd be ahead of it. <laughs> what, uh, Joe? What should we be talking about? Anything else on the list that that really should be top of mind for us, other than the Dodgers, well, of course? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say top of mind, but one thing that's interesting: there's a huge amount of discussion about revolts on the Republican side of uh, of uh, Steve Bannon. Yeah. Putting up candidates to, uh, you know, to against incumbents, uh, some of whom are pretty conservative. Um, but I think a really interesting thing is if you're looking on the Democrat side, there's this huge war going on between what I'll call the center left and the left. And Dianne Feinstein is you know, a very respected uh, Democrat, very liberal center is just yesterday. Well, you, we've heard rumors that, that someone might challenge her in the Democrat primary, but the guy who stepped up was a guy named Kevin DeLeon, who's a very prominent, powerful state senator uh, from Los Angeles. And that's mm. a, a, a geopolitical fact in California because many, many, many more people live in Southern California than Northern California, where uh, Senator Feinstein is from. But anyway, it's not a rumor anymore. He announced that he's going to challenge her in the Democrat. Oh, wow. Now, that doesn't change the, you know, the number of D's and R's in the Senate. California is going to send a Democratic senator to the U.S. Senate. That's that's not in question. But the fact that there's this fight that's now, you know, materialized, a a real fight on the left, uh, pulling the party, pulling the party Further and further to the left, I uh, think that I think there are implications there that really will be felt in 2018. Um, you know, regardless of the turmoil on the Republican side of things, you still can't win if you don't have candidates up that match pretty much match the philosophy of the states or the districts that you're in. And there's this whole movement, it seems to me, and as evidenced particularly by by this challenge to Feinstein, so that's, that's interesting. I, I think that's something to, to to look at. See how much how much that happens in how many different districts across the country. No, that's such that's that's great. And uh, I mean, what you've basically got is America is a center right country. 
Yeah. It's not a far right wing country, and it's definitely not a far left wing country. But it's also not even a center left country. Uh, just when you look at the the polls and people identify as somewhat conservative or very conservative versus oh, somewhat liberal, yeah. very liberal. Uh, you, you know the the you know the the indicator there is like to the center right, not the center left. But what's happening on the left is they're pulling the the war that's going on is pulling more and more and more to the hard left just as it's pulling more and more to the hard right on the right. Right. But the net of all this stuff is, is America is a center-right country, and you can't win center-right countries if you're putting up far-left left, right. candidates. Oh, boy. that's uh, good. That might set up a really interesting fight. Uh, Joe, we appreciate you as always. Joe Cannon is our guy, Joe in the know, and uh, walking us through you know some of the big political issues of the day. Uh, we appreciate his time and just his insights. Again, you can find out more about Joe's work at uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation by just checking out the website, fuelfreedom.org. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, it's not easy being the president of the United States, but normally your your campaign, you could wind down your campaign, I guess, uh, at least from the last years, get it all, get all the paperwork done, then start making more money for the next campaign in about four years for yourself. But President Trump has been spending a lot of his money from his campaign um, on legal bills. About one million, no, one million dollars on legal fees has been spent in the last quarter alone, from July thirtieth, no, July first to September thirtieth. That is one million dollars to cover this whole Mueller investigation. And he's he's not concerned. I've read certain things, you know, the behind the scenes, yeah. people close to the situation. Um, he's not concerned necessarily about any sort of collusion, no. which is something a lot of people are focusing on. He's more concerned about having people like dig into his business dealings, right? And then also uh, the obstruction of justice when it comes to Comey and the FBI director right. that he released, and just different comments that were made and business dealings. The one concern when whenever you put the special prosecutor out there, a special investigator is that they're going to start just going whichever direction they want to, which they say yeah. you know, wherever the evidence leads. And people are like, no, you need to stay focused on this one issue. You can't go looking everywhere else. And when they start looking everywhere else is when they find the problem. Well, and where they may be looking, they're saying now is maybe his tax, his taxes. So now yeah. all these taxes that he could never bring up because he was over, he was always being audited uh, investi- and, yeah. and investigated. Well, now you may have Mueller getting into the taxes. Yeah. You, you, Stay away from that. So that's that's kind of what the legal filings are. So. Well, uh, boy, politics. But you don't want to spend $4 million a year on your legal bills. Probably not the best, yeah. I mean, this just seems like, yeah. A little, little much there. Swimming upstream. <laughs> Swimming upstream on that one. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to take a quick little break, come back and continue to, uh, to you know, give you some of the latest and greatest uh, headlines. Also, just hopefully give you a little hope in the world. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show.
You know, we could always have a Trump story and because there's a million of them. We've got five right over here. But what's more, I think, uh, maybe, maybe important to a lot of people isn't politics. It's their iPhone. It is. Update after update after. I mean, I've had more, like what, three updates in the last 10 days? Yeah. And I still am having trouble with the buttons on my phone. Like, I mean, it's not – something's not working. Right. I push nothing. I push nothing. Moving to our first world problem yeah, section of the show. Horrible. Uh, the first batch of iPhone 10, they want you to call it, you even mean, though it says X. I mean X. iPhone X units have finally been shipped out of China, according to a uh, local site. Uh, one, one thing you, you, you find out when you start looking into news about Apple products is a lot of it comes out of what they call the supply chain. Yes. So they're being built quotes. They're being built in China, and so there's a lot of news with people over there saying, uh-oh, here's this problem. We're seeing issues here, and the, yeah. that news comes out. We're over here. You don't get any of that because there's complete lockdown on all information. So they are said to be uh, – the phones are said to be destined for two different countries with a combined shipment of just 46,500 phones. Wow, that doesn't seem like very many. No, this is reported to be a much smaller batch than they for previous models. Um, the latest estimates of production volume still has them around four hundred thousand per week, which may work. I don't know. Jeez. Even with uh, delayed pre-ordering, this is likely to see very slow or very low supplies for a considerable amount of time, possibly well into the new year. Uh, this is a company that, when they launch a phone, they sell millions. And now you're saying there's like 46,000. Is, like, is it we just love, you know, the 7 and the 8 and the 6 so much? No, it's the screens is what a lot of people are speculating. Okay. They're called OLED, which is a specific OLED. type of screen. It's a high high vibrancy. It's yeah. very, you know, and But only, I believe Samsung is the only company that really makes them. And Samsung has their phones. Plus they have a bunch of other cell phone makers. That's and they right. all want these high-end screens. So there's very few of them. Apple's trying to get as much as they can, but it doesn't look like they can get enough. Samsung so is being made. paid by Apple yeah. for their screens. That's it, yeah. That's a smart company. And then company. competing directly with, with them it. on phones. That's a smart company. Right. So you kind of making money on both sides. There you go. So yeah, that, okay. that's that's where they feel a lot of the issues are. And then they're talking about how the iPhone 8 sales aren't as robust as they were hoping. Mm-hmm. But when you have another phone coming out a couple why? weeks later, why would, we, why would you get an 8? Let's just slow down. I'm happy with my 7. Yeah. Plus, it's a plus. Right. Good stuff. And you keep falling down, so. Yeah, and I fall, and it takes a fall with me. That's great. So, yeah, there could be panic in the streets as people are not able to get their phone as fast as possible. Relax, everybody. The phones will come. Relax. There's always Christmas. See, helping you uh, figure out what to get your kids for Christmas. A 10. Or not. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer, love stronger, and uh, track down your, your iPhone. Right here at BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with, of course, uh, the gang. Terry's with us. Cole's with us today because Jeff is away on really important business. That's what he says. Strengthening family relationships with his brothers as they celebrate their brother's weekend. With the mom and sister-in-law. Yeah, so it's the yep. brothers and mom and sister-in-law weekend. Either way, it's a, it's got to be great fun because the Dodgers are now up 2-0. to zero. It's yeah. really a mom and sisters-in-law and brothers and Dodgers weekend. And Dodgers <laughs> weekend. And nachos. 
Yeah. So mom, sister-in-law, brothers, and Dodgers, and nachos weekend. And the kitchen sink. And the kitchen sink, of course. So uh, we miss him, of course, but uh, you know, he'll be back tomorrow. And then we're going to put him to extra work throughout the week. Mm. You know, we've got we've got some cleaning we're going to have to have him do. I think it's time to get the windows done. Somebody's got to go nice. take the rugs out back and yeah. shake them. It's true. It's going to be a big weekend for him Fall when he gets cleaning. back. Fall cleaning. You got to get it done. Today also uh, we're going to be talking about terrorism because we just hear report after report after report. Now it's almost every week you'll hear of some terroristic act. And how are you supposed to – Keep your kids healthy and not anxious about this stuff. Kids and anxiety, it's on the rise, and it might simply be because they keep watching television. Well, I'm telling you how I, during the floods in Texas, in Houston, I tried to kind of show my my son what was going on. Yeah, big mistake. And, I mean, for the next next month, every time it rained, it was like, is it going to flood? I'm like, no, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. So maybe, you know. We don't talk about that. I, do you? Do you share that with your kids? I mean, yeah. I don't want them oblivious. Well, I, I share it if they if are they asking ask. about it. But I think the key, too, is you can't be watching it. Because if you watch it and they keep walking by, they're wondering. I mean, if you're watching it, obviously they think it must be important. So the solution is kick him out of the room. Or eh. just watch less of it. Well, no, I watch like 10 minutes a day. Yeah, kick him out of the room for that time. Okay, that's, I mean. Just go let him watch the train show where he learns about the train. And well, Thomas, yeah. Thomas. And then the rest of it, I, I kick him out because, you know, daddy's stories, he doesn't need to watch those. Yeah. Do you mean, you mean soap operas? You, no, well, do you do the novelas? No, nah, they're sort of soap opera-y, yeah. but it's like, you know, superheroes. Yeah, I wouldn't let him watch those either. Nah, he kind of likes I, the one with I the flash I let him watch it. half of what you're watching. <laughs> or play the video game you play. The Lego Batman or whatever? No, the one playing? you play. Oh, yeah, we don't. I don't play that when anyone's conscious. Yeah. When, yeah. So you wait till the spirit and everyone mm. goes to bed. Yeah. Once once that's all taken care of, then it's free for all. <laughs> Go for it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Which just means I don't play it anymore. That's good. That's good. That's what happens. There's yeah. a point where, you know, you just can't play stuff like that anymore. You get to be a parent. Yeah. Everyone it doesn't the end. Then it just kind of every issue starts to get more and more serious because your kids have more agency, more will. They have car keys. Oh, wow. Some of them have a job. They have cash. Then they're just gone. Yeah. Then you're kind of like an advisory committee. Yeah. And more, yeah, you're kind of like the bank. Well, you're the bank. And you're the insurance company. Hmm. You're kind of like the federal government at that point. Really? You just enforce the the most important basic laws and then make sure nobody gets hurt. All right. That's supposedly what they're doing. Parenting sounds awesome. Yeah. Super great. So we'll talk about how to talk to your kids about terrorism. Also, uh, holy cow, you won't believe it, a police hunt. We'll get to this one about a a moped gang. See, I knew it was just a matter of time. Mopeds, weaponized. What are you going to do? They are. These guys are running around doing smash and grabs. They're wielding an axe, knives, really to just chase high designer Bags. Right. But, I mean, they have, like, the basket on the front of the moped. Yeah. Beep, beep. So they can, uh, you know, carry as much product as possible. It's just got a yeah. little 50cc moped. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't seem like a great getaway vehicle. I mean, you got to have a lot of power. Right. Mopeds, you know, never no. know. No. I mean, you can pedal. Yeah. Right. Plus, I guess the cool thing is at any point you can get off and run faster than you're <laughs> Probably. driving. So we'll talk about that. Plus... uh 
a woman that keeps going to prison because she keeps uh, digging up her her deceased dad. Wow. Yeah. You don't really hear about that kind of a no. infraction, but okay. It's good. It's all good news. But first, let's get to the uh, the real news with Terry South. Terry, what should we be paying attention to? With winds dying down, fire officials Sunday said they have apparently turned a corner against the wildfires that have devastated California's wine country and other parts of the state over the past week. And thousands of people got the all-clear to return home while danger from the deadliest, most destructive cluster of blazes in California history was far from over. The smoky skies started to clear in some places. People were being allowed to go back home in areas no longer in harm's way. And the number of those under evacuation order was down to 75,000 from nearly 100,000 the day before. Fire crews were able to gain ground because the winds that had fanned the flames did not kick up overnight as much as feared. The blazes were blamed for at least 40 deaths and destroyed some 5,700 homes and other structures. The death toll could climb as searchers dig through the ruins for people listed as missing. Hundreds were unaccounted for, though authorities say many of them are probably safe but haven't uh, let anyone know as of yet. The Sonoma County authorities have located 1,560 of the more than 1,700 once listed as missing. A lot of the listed as missing were people from out of state calling loved ones, not getting them, and then calling the police and listing them as missing. Oh, yeah. When they're just away from phones. Yeah, they could be standing at a shelter. Right. So they're perfectly fine. We just got to put put names with faces. That's good. That gets scary, though. Uh, Other news. Following President Trump's decision last week to end Affordable Care Act subsidy payments to insurance companies that lowered premiums for low-income customers, senators are moving to introduce new health care packages aimed at stabilizing the potential turbulence from the executive order. The Wall Street Journal reports that Senator Lamar Alexander of Tennessee and Patty Murray of Washington have been working on a highly anticipated bipartisan health care plans for months and are expected to introduce it within days. That deal would likely fund Obamacare subsidies and provide states with more flexibility to change Obamacare's requirements. Trump has reportedly signaled his approval of the bipartisan approach. There we go. So hopefully we don't ruin health care just for spite. That, yeah. As it kind of feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Thank heavens. Something's happening. Well, I mean, he did kind of you know kick it to Congress and say, fix it, do something. So now they step up and maybe they can do something, fix a problem here. Uh, the United States and South Korea are planning for uh, several days of joint military drills in the Korean Peninsula beginning today, an occasion that prompts North Korea on Sunday to label President Trump a war merchant and strangler of peace. Who has pushed the, quote, situation on the peninsula to the brink of war. Trump is due to visit Asia, including South Korea, in early November. War merchant and strangler of peace. Strangler of peace. And he's lit the... Wick of war. The wick of war. They're very eloquent. I, I, I like that. I like their, yeah. It's very nice. I, like, I mean, I don't know that I'd like that title. Well, I think it Strangler really... Strangler of peace. I think it ups the level of discourse when it comes to, you know, to... Yeah, people trying to fight through Twitter. And it's, it seems media. like if you wanted him to somehow kill peace, you'd use you would have used an alliteration like the oh. poisoner Ooh. of peace. Maybe you could send some tips. Yeah, I might do alliterations if I was going to try to put down the president. Something more memorable, <laughs> yeah. but bumper sticker quality. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I'd be a good approach to foreign policy it. there. That's good. I like that. Former uh, South Texan Juvenile Justice Department employee has been arrested for felony theft after authorities say he acknowledged stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas over nine years. Wow. $1.2 million worth of fajitas. That is a... It's a lot of fajitas. That is a lot of fajitas. Cameron County District Attorney uh, Luis Senez says... 
or tells the Brownsville Herald that uh, Gilberto Escarmilla was fired in August and arrested after authorities obtained a search warrant and found packages of the Tex-Mex food in his refrigerator. Investigators subsequently checked vendors' invoices and determined that he would intercept uh, county-funded food deliveries and deliver them to his own customers. So he was selling them on the side, right? Oh, man. Um, The investigators subsequently checked uh, the vendors, and they found he was selling them. The scheme imploded... When he missed work one day in August for a medical appointment and a delivery driver showed up with 800 pounds of fajitas, but officials said the juvenile department didn't serve fajitas. Sir, we don't make fajitas. I don't know. This must be the wrong order. So Oscar Mayer was arrested last week on more serious felony theft charges. Uh, but, uh, yeah, because— He's a fajita bandito. So as he took the day off, yeah. and then the delivery showed up. Uh, and uh, It's uh, always that plan. You uh, missed one element of the plan. You're sick for one day, and it all falls apart. We don't. We don't have fajitas here. Don't do fajitas. That's no, you've been doing fajitas for years. <laughs> one point two million dollars. That effect. is a lot of. That, think about it, though. That's a lot of fajita. This I don't like true. fajitas. Have you ever noticed that when one person in your table, your group, orders a fajita, everyone yeah. smells like a fajita? They do because it's very smoky. It's a yeah. smoky dish. Smoky, steaming hot dish. And I love when they bring it out. And they go, oh, "It's hot," but of course, it's all. Tss- yeah. It's sizzling from this from yeah. the, the, the 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 grill, or and you know you're like, okay, I guess I'll take my clothes to get dry clean now, right? Because you're covered in fajita. I have a rule that you can't order a fajita, really, unless you want to sit at another table. Mm. It also tends to take up a lot of room on the table. Yeah, because you have like your your like skillet thing they yeah. bring out, and then there's like the the plate of tortillas, and then you have all the fixings. Plus, don't you feel like you work at a Taco Bell if you eat a fajita? That, too, because you have to build your food. Yeah. It's like, why can't this be done in the back? It seems like it's an advantage, but it really is, I think it's the restaurant's lazy man dish. Oh. Because they don't have to do anything because they just bring you the stuff. They just dish it up and hand it over. Lazy. That's why this guy's been stealing it. Is that what it is? Yeah, pretty sure. Hey, um, police are on the hunt for axe-wielding moped gang. Hmm. who uh, stole designer handbags worth $400,000. Listen to this crazy story. A manhunt uh, has been launched. They they literally um, they ride around on their mopeds and smash and grab raids at designer stores in the west end of London. So far, the brazen thieves have struck at several stores, including Hugo Boss and Prada. In the past month, they've been armed with axes, knives, crowbars. Scotland Yard have linked the attack to five other similar West End raids hmm. because of the tactics using dark clothes, black mopeds. And, and, and it's basically they just come in. They overwhelm you with power, not from the moped, but from the smashing. So it's like one of these crazy criminal motorcycle gangs, but mopeds. Yeah. Without, no, no, no. What, just for yeah. those that may not know, what's a moped? Moped's like a it's it's a step between a bike and a motorbike, a motorcycle. So it's like a really low powered motorcycle. Yeah. With pedals. Yeah. So you have the opportunity you, you, can, get, you can just pedal and you, give yourself you, you, power that way. You might even have to pedal it. I think maybe to get it started. When I was five, six, seven years old, my father had one of these. Did he? We'd go race around the neighborhood. Were you a member of a gang? No, we were just, my dad had a moped. It was blue. Didn't you wear black clothes? No. It was just. You had an axe though, right? No, not at all. We're just driving around. We'd honk the horn, wave at neighbors. Hello. As he drove by, because you know, we're nice. Yeah. It's a moped. It's actually something you maybe want to make fun of, because it's kind of a weird. It seems de- like you'd want to like really have powerful like BMW motorcycles. So you can fly in, er, stop, 
smash, but grab, grab, get on your motorcycle, get out of there. This may be more cost effective. And a lot of these stores end up being in pedestrian sort of areas that aren't mm-hmm. really accessible by, by vehicle, like truck or car. Yeah. So you can race in, grab, and then run out with your moped. They may ditch the moped real quick. Plus they wear helmets so you can't tell who they are. That's right. It's the disguise. And they look intimidating mm. until, they, of course, they get on their moped. With their purses. And by the way, 8,300 crimes were committed uh, by these thugs, apparently, over the last few years. Wow. They probably need to get on that and stop that. Yeah. They're on mopeds. I but mean. the neat thing about the moped is it's not a fast vehicle, so you can you could actually rob somebody while you're just sitting in there and they're walking. You just can ride right next to them, huh. cut the purse. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, the person on your back could do it. You're driving. Right. I mean, it's, Yeah. Focus two, only on driving. Two people Safety on a moped first, yes. makes it even more um, slow. Mm. Well, yeah, there's more weight. It's bogged down. It's like a family with eight mm. in a villager van trying to make it up a hill. This is true. You're just going to have to pass them. <laughs> but these guys are trying to but Yeah, so there's an uptick you. in moped crime and uh, just felt like we needed to I'm glad let you, people know about yeah, that. No, Public I, service here. Super important. Super important. Uh, Arkansas police are on the lookout for a fake cop accused of pulling over a woman Sunday night. A woman said she was driving when a white older Dodge Charger with blue lights in in the grill pulled up behind her. The woman drove to a gas station, pulled into the parking lot, and the man, who she described as a six foot two Hispanic male wearing an olive green t shirt, uh, with St. Francis County undercover officer um, in in white letters on the chest, like so. He like spray painted something. His on identification, his shirt, his shirt says, um, "This is so nuts." St. Francis County undercover officer. When I go undercover, I make sure that my T-shirt tells people that I'm on. Yeah, I mean, shouldn't it just say like police? FBI or police right. or sheriff, not undercover undercover officer. officer? Wow, yeah, secret spy. Working for the KGB. Um, According to the incident report, the man claimed uh, someone had been stopping females and he wanted to get her home safe. Oh, well. So I'm, uh, you don't, you may not know me, but I'm officer, whatever. I'm with St. Francis, as he points to his finger, undercover officer. I'm I'm an undercover officer. Oh. Like to just make sure you get home safely. Right. According uh, to uh, about that time, she said an unknown person began walking across the parking lot toward her car. The suspect saw the person and told the victim she could leave. Then uh, he got in his car and drove away. The woman called her husband, who called the police. According to the news release Monday, the sheriff's office um, said the suspect is not a member of their department. And they issued a state uh, be on the lookout for the undercover officer. Okay. Crazy. He's driving a Mazda, probably. A little hatchback. <laughs> He's pulling people over. Yeah. He's probably in that van. Hmm. <laughs> you know, people aren't very smart. No. What would you do with that situation? You had a guy standing there, says he's your he says he's a police officer wearing a shirt that says undercover officer. I just start laughing. You start I'd driving? Say, can I see your badge? Can uh-huh. I can I have your advisor, what your supervisor, your supervisor? come see me here? Hmm. I'm not rolling my window down. Right. I'd call 911 right then. There you go. There's so many steps you could take here. I mean, all you really got to do is just, you know, maybe use your common sense and know that an undercover officer wouldn't have that T-shirt on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't want to be rude. I'm just trying to get some ideas on the table. Yeah, and I don't want I don't want anybody nice. to get in trouble. Right. But, you know, 
If it walks like a goat, quacks like a goat. It's probably a goat. Kicks a field goal like a goat. Right. It's probably goat. I don't know if goats quack, but a woman heads to prison for digging up her dad's grave. A New Hampshire woman who spent time in prison for digging up her father's grave in search of his real will uh, has been sent back after violating her parole conditions. Melanie Nash was sentenced to a year and a half to three years in prison after a hearing on September 26th. Prosecutors say Nash violated her parole when she contacted her sister Susie Nash and threatened her over her father's estate. Nash had previously been sentenced to a year and a half um, in 2015 for ransacking her father's grave. Police said Nash felt she had shorted in her uh, she'd been shorted in her share of the inheritance after her father, businessman Eddie Nash, died in 2004. So she, you know, keeps – she won't give up. the. There's another will, she thinks. Somewhere in that casket, there's a will. And you know where there's a will. There's a way. There is a way. And she's trying to find it. She's going to find that way. Even if she keeps going to jail for digging up the grave. Come on. It's in there. She'll find it. That's the problem is when you really are hoping for that money. So you got to be really careful, parents, because you don't want to – you don't want to have your daughter go into jail after you've died because the will has not been executed properly. Plus, you don't want anybody digging you up. <sighs> That's not good. Oh, the crazy world we live in. Don't you see? When you hear stories like that, don't you sit there and think, oh, my life is so good. I haven't had to dig up a grave for years. Anyway, up next, folks, we're going to be talking about how to talk to your kids about terrorism. So many stories on the news. It's pretty much a weekly thing now. What should you be saying? What shouldn't you be saying? Are there certain things you could do to make them relax a little bit and not get so caught up in it? Uh, Great advice. Straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. You know, in the light of recent terrorist attacks, we as adults can be deeply affected. What we don't think about as often is the the impact that these events are having on our children, the anxiety and the fear that it might be creating in them, and especially the young, young ones. Parents may worry about how to have a conversation with their children about these devastating events. So Dr. Mary Pulido joins us. She's the executive director of the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. Uh, and has some wonderful suggestions for us today about how we can broach this uh, sensitive topic with our kids. Dr. Polito, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to offer some advice to your audience. How, talk to us about this. Is it um, – is – what impact does uh, watching these things on television, hearing about the, the latest shootings, the latest terrorist acts, what, what impact does it have on these kids? You know, first of all, every child is, is different and it will depend on their age and it will depend on their exposure. But, you know, anxiety in children manifests differently than adults really in one major way is that Children, particularly younger children, they're not going to talk about it. Adults, you know, they understand that they are, they're anxious and they can talk and say, this is really troubling me. 
but children, particularly little ones, aren't going to to be able to tell you, you know, that that this is really impacting them. You know, and, and you can go all the way from even little ones two years old. They won't understand that something has happened, but they will understand or feel that their caregiver is upset. So, you know, they may start getting a little bit uh, cranky or crying for no reason, um, being a little bit more, you know, clingy. Uh, children, like if they're a little bit older, the toddler group, you know, they may really depend on adults to sort of reassure them and help them feel better, mm. you know, and, and they will sense that, you know, mom is upset or dad is upset and, you know, it, it makes them anxious. You know, the older children, you know, that can manifest in everything from depression and, you know, being more anxious to fear of going places, fear of going to school, you know, trouble paying attention in school. They, they, they also, you know, a lot of kids act out when they're anxious. They could become a little bit more aggressive. Or the other, you know, they could also probably be a little bit more withdrawn and maybe, you know, more clingy, again, to the caretaker. Yeah. So it, it really depends, but it does impact them and anxiety and, um, you know, I think depression and, and being really worried and fearful are things that you will see in my mind if children are sort of overexposed to all the, the violence that's going on with, with terrorist attacks and they don't have the opportunity or an adult or a safe person in their life to sort of help them through it and coach them, yeah. you know, how to feel, how to, how to calm down and how to feel better. They need to be reassured. Is, is it, does it matter if it's, um, because like what happened in Las Vegas that we really don't quite understand, but right now we're not necessarily calling it, you know, an in, like an international terrorist event, but um, it has, it seems to have the exact same effect as uh, a bombing or anything else that we might see in the world of terrorism uh, worldwide, I guess it doesn't matter. The events are the same, they, and they still might induce terror in the child or yeah. any of us. Absolutely. And, and really what you need to do is you need to find out these events are frightening. So what, what a parent needs to do is the children really, they want to know the bottom line. Am I going to be okay? Is this going to happen here? Is something going to happen to you and then there will be no one to take care of me? You know, and again, based on, you know, their age and their personality, their connection to the attacks, that's how you're going to begin, you know, your answer. Mm. Um, the other thing with, with children and trauma is that trauma is cumulative, too. So, yes, they're taking in terrorism and things from the Internet and the, the TV or the paper or social media, but if they've also had a trauma, if they've lost a, you know, a family member or they've been in an accident, that is, that's additional trauma. So trauma is cumulative and it builds. So you have to sort of, adults have to be tuned into that when you put all these things together, you know, children can have, um, you know, even more severe reactions if, uh, the TV coverage and the internet coverage isn't monitored, but but it, but it is the same, and it does produce levels of anxiety. Yeah, and I guess because I, I sit there and I think, 
I, I really should. I mean, I monitor. I could monitor my kids, and I can make sure I'm not watching it at home. But it also doesn't mean it's not coming up at school. It doesn't mean they're not. It, some of the older kids that might have a phone, they might be getting a feed on their Facebook feed or whatever. And I notice all my kids will come home with questions from school about right. things like that. Right, and you know, and I think that that's that's sort of key. What you just said, they come home with questions. When your child has a question, it's. I think that one of the best things a parent can do is sit down and say, "Tell me what you've heard. Tell me, yeah. you know, how what kind of questions I could I can answer for you." Don't feed them questions. Let them say. Let them say what it is they've learned, and then you have the opportunity. First of all, to sort of correct misunderstandings because sometimes. You know, um, the, everything flies so fast and children exaggerate things or there's fake news out there at times and children develop things that may even make them more anxious. So you can correct those misperceptions, you know, but then the other thing is you can really say, what do you want to know about what happened? And then find out what it is that's frightened them and, and talk to them about it and stick to the facts. You know, children could have heard conflicting stories that confuse them even more. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're addressing the, you know, the the terrorist attacks, you know, you could say that this this person, you know, wanted to hurt people and they attacked innocent people at the concert, and their goal was to scare people and make us afraid. And we're very sad. We're it's a sad, sad day for all of us. You know, and your child may then raise questions about, you know, death and what comes next. And depending on your beliefs, you need to answer those questions, too. But the important thing is is to find out at their pace, at their developmental level, what is it that they need to know. You know, with older children, I, I think it's an opportunity to, you know, to, to really, you know, explain, you know, terrorist attacks are frightening. And immediately after, it's very confusing and overwhelming for everyone, you know, but also focus on the bigger picture that there is also good, that there are emergency responders. There are people offering, you know, their homes to help strangers. There's Mm -hmm. blood donors queuing up to give blood. There's people offering free services. There's medical providers and police you know, all really trying to do everything they can to help those that were in the attack and to alleviate fear, you know. And, and, and this, I think, helps put it in a perspective. There are many, many more people doing good in the world than there are people that are, that are, that are causing, you know, terrorist attacks. And I think that for the older children, too, it's an opportunity. They can even, you know, you can find a way for them to give back, yeah. You know, and and contributes very often there's community drives when things like this happen or people want to get involved in something in their local community to support each other and it's it's a nice way to to help your child develop sort of that that empathy and community consciousness and and contribute to the good contribute to the fight for the good. That's great. What do you do when you cuz you also could have kids at different ages, right? And I could have a teenager 
and then down to an eight-year-old. Um, I, is this something that we, we really should kind of take our kids one by one where they are developmentally and at whatever stage or – I mean because I could see us trying to be efficient. But this is somewhere where we probably ought not be efficient. We ought to be really effective. Yes. I think you definitely should take that separately. You know, little children, it, it may be – they may want to draw. They may they – may, it may be easier to help them limit their anxiety by having them do things that, that where they can express their emotions, such as drawing pictures, give them something to, to color. They may want to write little messages, you know, do something that is age-appropriate for, for children that are five or six or seven. And I personally do not – I think that children under six shouldn't be watching the media, and we need to – shield them from these things as long as possible, and I'll go into that in a minute. Yeah. But I think that, you know, the older children are, that's where you can go more into doing things that will help um, make them feel that they, they can be part of a supportive answer and a rebuttal to all these horrible things that are happening in the world. I think... Um, for the for the little ones also, you may want to distract them more. You know, there's there's a time to talk about it, but then playing a game with them, taking them to a movie, to having them do something that's fun, again, it will in- decrease their anxiety and it will increase their safety. Because for the younger children, what they really want, they want their questions answered, and, and you should answer them, I think, in as, as uh, uh, again, short answers, but... Stick to the facts. Tell them what they they need to know to understand. But then it gets to a point where you want them to then go back to normal and try to try to have a normal day and play outside or go you know sit down and play a game with them or turn on a funny a funny cartoon show that they like. But with them, it's more getting them back into a world where yes, bad things happen, but I'm I am here to keep you safe. Yeah, no. And uh, safety can, you... is really what these children need because. Um, and then going back to you know, I just think with all the media exposure, you know, I I personally believe that children under the age of six, they they very often have a hard time processing, you know what's happening and that it's not particularly with the media playing things over and over and over again they're not really some of them cognitively just can't figure out that it's not happening over and over again right right and and violence you know has also been shown to you know make them feel that between the internet the movies the news video games social media you know children can come to view the world as being sort of mean and scary and we really want to protect them from that until they have a better understanding of how terrorist things happen and that they happen, but then it's, it's not an ongoing thing and that there are many, many people working very hard to keep them safe as well as, you know, the people in their home to keep them safe. Mm. But I do think um, you need to limit it. And I do think parents, too, sometimes you just have that news on in the background and you're not even aware that your little ones are picking it up. No, right. You know? and yeah, it's just That's noise for you. But it's it's noise for you, but then all of a sudden it, uh, they are noticing it and it is traumatic. And um, is there 
I mean, I, I guess part of this is preparation too. It's it's the ability to make sure they feel safe and then give them the information they need. If if trauma is additive, is effective management of trauma um, uh, kind of a, a not additive? That wasn't the word you used. You had a better word for it. But um, it, it seems like cumulative. if I cumulative. So if if trauma is cumulative, then is effective management of trauma cumulative? The more I effectively handle these scenarios with them, does it just make them stronger and stronger to be able to be resilient to what they're seeing? You know, you're, that's, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that I really encourage parents to do with children, and this is starting as young as you possibly can, is to work with them on con- concepts of safety. And safety starts, you know, here at the New York Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, where we do safety planning in many areas, but one is just body safety to prevent child sex abuse. And Mm. when does that start? That starts in kindergarten. It starts when your child's taking a bath. Who's allowed to touch you? Under what circumstances? What does body safety mean? You know, what are your private parts? That's one concept of safety. Children crossing the street. You teach them how to cross the street. What, what is that type of safety? Traffic safety. You teach them fire safety. What do we do if there's a fire? And I, I do feel that when they're old enough, that when things come on the news or the paper, um, you can use these as teachable moments with your child, too. Mm. You know, and this, this is the time where parents should sit their children down and talk to them about a family emergency safety plan. You know, and, and I think when if, if parents do this on a regular basis and they work it as part of my job is to keep you safe, and so now let's talk about what would we do if we got separated in a shopping park or a, you know, or a, an amusement park or something happened, you know, who would, um, who would you contact? How would we get in touch with each other? What would happen if you're in school or, you know, we, we're separate? Who, who would you go to? And you work these things out in advance and then you reinforce them. You know, where's a meeting location if we're if we're separated, how do you call 911 if you're home and something happens? You know, and I think if parents take this time and sort of, you know, again, sit down and, and say, this is what we have in place, um, that, again, will make the child feel better. And cumulatively, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, this is another way my parents are making me feel safe. And it builds. You know, and it should be building all the way from when they're like three years old all the way up to, you know, to a teen. And at teens, they probably need everything reinforced again because there's sort of a whole other set of rules out there when they're when they start to be off on their own even more. So true. And you look at that. I mean, really, these are all skill sets that they need to become uh, healthy, effective adults and uh, I mean, I guess it never ends. It's not just always even safety issues. It's also just, you know, managing emotion, understanding emotion, recognizing emotions in others, being able to talk about what you feel. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, again, some children are going to talk and yep. some children are not going to talk. And I think you just have to be mindful of 
sort of taking their cues and not pushing them, but the fact that you can just say to them, you know, I there's been a lot of upsetting things happening in the news lately, and I want you to know that when you're ready to talk about it or if you have any concerns about it, I'm here to 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 listen to you, and I'm happy to talk with you about it, but... You know, please know that I, I, my role is to, to keep you safe. And, you know, many people in our community and our government and all over, you know, the world are, are working really hard to try to make sure that, you know, these types of things don't happen. But I think it's you have to sort of take your cues from the child. But, but you know, if you do notice that, that your children are, you know, upset or depressed or acting out or, 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 you know, being, I think, not their usual, you know, bubbly selves at school or whatever, it, it's a time that they would, that you should sit them down and, you know, make sure that, that the anxiety level hasn't reached um, sort of a problem where uh, it's going to cause them trouble at school or, or, or trouble with their friends. And, and you know, two, but I think most parents can tune into their children pretty easily when when um, when one of these attacks happens and and sort of you know use a Geiger counter if they're always talking and all of a sudden they're withdrawn. I think that you know again they're very frightening. But uh, by offering yourself and just letting them know that you're there when they're ready to talk, that's half the battle. Yeah. And I know you uh, you made a good point um, in uh, I think in your Huffington Post uh, article that uh, also watch out for how you're doing emotionally because you you may be more impacted by it than maybe your children and even your own behavior to what's going on might be creating even a fear in them. Absolutely. First of all, you know, and I also think we need to limit how many times we watch the repeats. Yeah. Because the repeats are there, and, you know, once you see it, it's, it's there. You cannot unsee something, and it's there. It's in your brain. You need to know. You need to know what's going on as a parent. But the, the constant repetition, in my mind, doesn't serve many of us well. I think that you, you, you can limit that as much as possible. But you can have very strong feelings about what happened, and you should monitor your reactions too, because it's not uncommon when something, you know, happens that that you're preoccupied or you're a little bit more, you know, reactive, hyper vigilant, you know, sort of jumpy. Um, sometimes people are just very sad. They're sad that these things are happening in the world. But you also have to realize that, particularly if you're little children, they will react to that. With the older children, I, I do think it's okay to say, yes, this has upset me deeply, you know, that, that these innocent people were harmed and it has made me very sad, you know, but that I think, um, you know, we will get through this and all these people are trying to help now and what can we do to help the community be stronger. And you'll serve as a role model for your children and it will reassure them that one, you are there to have these very difficult conversations under very stressful times, but that two, that you're you're saying to them, I feel I feel bad for these people. I'm going to do something to help, you know. And if we do this together, we'll both feel better, you know, that we're making a contribution to the good. 
but you have to keep tabs on yourself. You know, I think that uh, parents have a lot of stressors, but I, I do feel that sharing how you feel with your children, um, as long as it's age appropriate, is a, is a very good way to to role model for them. Absolutely. And I look at it, and I, just, I think in the end it's anything we can do to communicate uh, and get our, our feelings out, but also, but do it in a way that we're paying attention to these kids. It's so easy to just not uh, not give them the, the the not be paying as close of attention as we need to, especially during these events. Uh, Dr. Mary Pulido, thank you so much for your time. Again, Mary is the executive director of the New York Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, um, and just a wonderful resource I think for all of us to better understand how to 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 get through hard times and um, the traumas that we are experiencing and seeing throughout our our country and the world. We will continue the journey doing what we can on this program to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives with you and your children. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Little coaching corner for you. You know, when it comes to um, people around us that we love, we care about them, we want to to have these strong, great relationships with them, and uh, then they come to us with a question about you know what's going on in the news. And if you're not careful and you don't pay close enough attention, you may just get into your lecture mode. You may just turn into you know the enlightening one that's going to just download the great wisdom and pearl of life. But really, maybe what your kids need is a chance to, if they will, express themselves. But if not, just to have some gentle, you know, reassurance. We, I, I can just see somebody whose, you know, child comes up and starts talking about the shootings in Las Vegas, and instead, what we end up talking with them about are the latest, uh, you know, the latest headlines. We start talking about gun control. We start talking about a political position on it or, um, you know, the number of guns that he had, the amount of ammo, explosive whatever targets that he had, all these other things. And none of that really is what they're after maybe. Maybe what the kid is really after, like we learned earlier, is safety, just to know and have reinforced that they're safe, we're secure. This is kind of a one in a, you know. One in a million thing, and it's kind of random. It's not going to happen to us. If it does, this is what we could talk about, what you would do. But um, just because we have a lot of information out there in the world doesn't mean most of it matters, right? It, it We talk about it. Even if, even if we talk about it, and you may have noticed after the Vegas uh, situation, every new update, every new piece of data you'd go talk to your friends about or you you, you were in disbelief. Um, maybe there's other things that really ought to be talked about, like all of us as humans getting through a situation like that, more of the hero stories. So if you find yourself in a position where people are talking about all of the negative, all of the ugly stuff, you can change conversations too by just talking about the heroes and the bravery and how many lives were saved. And for 20,000 people in a concert, um, 500 injured, 250 or so that were actually shot. That I mean, that's amazing how many people got away safely. And um, 
it helps to be able to also see the positive side. And you don't have to be naive to the other pain, but you also don't have to perpetuate it by constantly bringing up, by constantly talking about it. We call that the appreciative approach, right? There's, there's just as much good that happened as well that would counter all of the bad. And sometimes we all need to hear that, including our kids need to hear that there is for every one terrorist, there's hundreds, thousands of people, millions of people that are that are amazing, powerful, good people that will look after you. Anyway, a little just a heads up, a little idea, I guess, for all of us to elevate our conversations around the water cooler. Up next, we'll do a little McKenna Bouse, Bouse in the House. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. McKenna Vouse is in the house. Uh, McKenna is one of our great producers on the program, and she always brings us a little mind bender. She likes to take the crazy real stuff that we're studying and researching here in the world and uh, throw a little curveball at our lives. What's up today, McKenna? Well, today we're going to be talking a little bit about how we are able to connect our brains with computers and sort of mm. bridging that gap between the two. Because we've got computers, we've got tech, amazing stuff, and we have our brains. Exactly. And sometimes our brains don't actually ever make it into the computer. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it gets me. Yeah. You know, there's our brain is so complex and is able to do so many different things. And our technology has come a long way. We can do a lot with it. But there's definitely this gap. Our brain can still do a lot more, has a lot more potential. And yet we want to find ways to augment those abilities, especially um, in the cases of brain injury or spinal cord injury, any kind of thing like that. And so there's a lot of really cool potential out there for sort of making computers in the brain one. Holy cow. What are some examples? So, you know, out in the far future, things that people are talking about is being able to transfer consciousness from your brain to a computer. So when you die, you know, you're still here. In you're a still way. here. You're, I, yeah, your ways of thinking, your method of uh, handling ideas is like still also there. you can still, you know, all your memories are still there that can be accessed, which is really cool wow. if it, you know, we if eventually get there. And that's. Definitely a ways off. But well, but that would actually be hor- – can you imagine somebody going through your data? Yeah. Well, you know, and that oh. would definitely raise a lot of ethical concerns yeah. there. Um, so He did what? I know. We're, he thought what? We're, we're sort of lucky that we're not quite there yet because we've got a long way to go yeah. in terms of our society to, like, know how to handle that appropriately. But right now, things that we do have are, like, bionic eyes Yeah. Um, that it's sort of, you know, like a camera. And it takes in info and sends it into the brain – and through the computer is able to translate that into signals that the you brain is able see. to process as image. And right now it's very low resolution. You know, it doesn't mimic what you can see yeah. with your eye, but it's it's, the it's an option. It's the beginning. Right. Cochlear implants yeah. are probably the most common way that we, you know, take a computer and me- meld it with our brain with over 300,000 people using those. Are they really? Wow. Yeah. And those are awesome. They make it yeah. so people can understand speech. But there are limitations in terms of it distorts the way you hear music. Right. So, again, we still are making progress in those regards. That's amazing. Yeah. It's the bi- This is about bionics. Exactly. And bionics really are sort of this the future 
of the, the next frontier in terms of how we are going to integrate technology into our lives. It's um, There's plenty of bionics that are sort of one direction. It can read yeah, like um, your muscle, signals, yeah. like muscle ones that can control an arm. Yeah. And they're not super precise, but you know somebody who's lost a limb can control something because it can read those. But what we're really trying to get at are what they call bidirectional um, brain-computer interfaces, which is where your brain sends signals and operates it, but it's able to take signals oh, and send it back yeah. and get that That'll full be, that's crazy. kind of response going but on. But we're having the conversation, and people are doing the research, so it's really just time. It's just time. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of different clinical trials that are going on right now, and so they're all showing that this is a possibility. This is something that can work, but they all are such short trials. Yeah. That I, we haven't been able to like really see the long-term right. growth in oh, this field wow. that we're looking for. McKenna, exciting. That's exciting news. Again, that is a mind-bender. It's, it's pretty fun. What about the day that before you pass on, they just plug you in? Yeah, it's something we you know, should start uh, thinking of. Oh, and imagine what for. forms you'd have to sign there. Yeah, there's quite a bit. But, hey, it'll be good for history. That's right. We it really will. anything. You'll keep everything alive. McKenna Baus is her name. She's the mind bender here on the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, McKenna. My pleasure. We will keep the journey up next hour, a complete new hour, more insight, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Hopefully you're uh, up and at it. You're getting through the morning without any problems. Mondays are hard. I was just uh, commenting on the fact that I'm not sure that my body is uh, is with me right now. My consciousness is here. Oh, good. But my body, I just got off my chair and it started to walk away. And I thought, wow, I feel like I've been in a car accident. Hmm. But I haven't. You know, that, that lesson that you just learned. Yeah, what was that? Don't stand up. Don't walk. I know, but no I— No physicality whatsoever. Okay, here's the deal. Okay. So you tell that to Cole. Because right. Cole, mm-hmm. filling in for Jeff today, I asked him to push me to the restroom in this chair. And he refused? Yeah. It's kind of rude that way. I'll, I'll try to get the memo out of what it exactly means to when operate the show. When I said I would fill in for Jeff, Jeff, I didn't mean I would really fill in no, for Jeff all the No, Jeff wheels me to the, Jeff to the loo every day. There's certain expectations when you're— Operating the board for this yeah. show that are just implied. I'll make sure everyone knows. Right. I mean, I mean, when, I'm not going to do it. When but. your talent, um, you want people to treat you like that. I think it comes with the title. Talent, air quote. Are right. you actually referred to as talent anywhere, like officially? Well, I think, like officially, you're classified as like an executive producer. Yeah. No. If well, no, they don't use the word talent. Oh, as okay. long as no one throws around talented. I think no, we're yeah. okay. I mean, we talent. know that's not. No, but I, I, I think I might be the only one using that term. But it's more of a self-applied label, not necessarily like official yeah. from management. They don't yeah. consider that you... used to be what we'd call it in the biz. Yeah, well, I think it went to people's heads, so they yeah. just kind of change you back to. I'm still using it. Yeah. Okay, well, so I, I don't. I mean, you don't have to bow to me or anything like that, but you do. You know, 
somebody does need to will me into my okay. into the. And you think that went to people's heads? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I think we can maybe hire yet another student employee to just do that. That'd be great. We but said we, at one point someone only, said something about unlimited resources. So yeah, but it's I don't know. Okay, I don't know if I need one person dedicated only to that. All they got to do is get me to the door. What about a personal assistant? Yeah, I have a couple. I yeah, no, I have some of those. You have some of those. Elsewhere? Yeah. Not really all they're cracked up to be? They're great. Okay. They're just, it's really personal. Okay. Well, I thought maybe you want one to hear this aspect of your life, but that's fine. I just thought my producer would do all that. No, nah, it's fine. I have my limits. But it's funny that my producer has eight produ- or six producers, whatever the number yeah, is. That's great. But it seems like, but I only have one producer. No, you you can kind of see that. Maybe they're producers for you also, but they do kind of talk to me more. It trickles down. They're just not chair pushers. If they talk to you, they get kind of psychoanalyzed and it kind of yeah. becomes like oppressive. I know. Isn't that great? Like how you that can't works? just have a conversation and no. someone's dissecting right. every word you say. And I always make them go out to the kind of our green room and make them sit on the couches. Right. Like lay down, put your feet up. Let's, I mean, talk. let's talk about this. Yeah. Oh, it's a tough day. Hey, today we're going to be also talking about digital habits, mm. how to have a balanced life. If you're going to use those those tech devices, what are they called? Phones, phones, tablets, yeah. computers. Yes. You're going to use all that stuff. Mm. We've got we got to have some rules. You got to have some some laws, some limits. So we've got a great guest coming uh, to talk to us about that straight ahead, of course. Plus, of course, our Sports Nation buddies. We'll find out how they're feeling after they 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 knew BYU oh, yeah, yeah. wasn't going to win. Now, they just it's all winning. Now, now, now they're going to just run the table. Now You've gone by the tough games now yeah. for the rest of the season, nothing but winning. Yeah. See, this has got to be the exciting part of the season they've been waiting for. Well, it's the part of the season that they could likely win more. I, the, I guess the I thing is you, that you got to win. Well, yeah. Ugh. That's yeah. some pressure. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll get to that with our BYU Sports Nation buddies, of course, and the hero story. But first, to Terry with the headlines. What's going on, Terry? We should be paying attention to. The wildfires raging in California, now the deadliest in state history, with the death toll rising to 40 people. More than 10,000 firefighters are continuing to try to contain the fire, which has destroyed thousands of structures. Wind in the area has been unrelenting. As of last night, they said the wind was going to die down. Maybe some rain in the forecast, so they're seeing some relief there. Governor Jerry Brown called it truly one of the greatest tragedies that California has ever faced. The devastation is just unbelievable. Uh, let's see, around 2014 or 214,000 er, 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 uh, acres encompassing Sonoma County and other areas of north of San Francisco. More than 200 people are still unaccounted for. Mm. 100,000 people total have been forced to evacuate. Many of those have been able to go home. So now the total of uh, been evacuated now is 75,000. So some people oh are returning cow. home. So slowly they're gaining ground, putting down some of these fires, containing others, and people are able to return yeah. home to whatever's left. So now people are finally going home to see they don't have a home. Possibly, yes. And, I mean, you, they'll rebuild. You can rebuild. In fact, they're already talking about reforesting the area. and. Right. But ah, oh, it was such a beauty. It was like one of the most pr- pristine, beautiful places. Damage on Earth. topping a billion dollars. Holy cow! So it's kind of crazy that way. So the next story here it says it feels like tw- if it feels like 2017 has been more large scale natural disasters than most years, that's because it, it has been. Uh, this year has seen no less than 15 natural disasters that individually have cost at least a billion dollars in damage. 
to the United States or the uh, National Centers for Environmental Information reports. The only year to date to clock more billion-dollar disasters was 2011, which totaled 16 such disasters with two and a half months to go. 2017 could well match or break that record. The billion-dollar or more category is a broad one. Hurricane Maria, Irma, and Harvey are expected to cost $70 billion, oh. 70.5 and 81.5 respectively, counting economic losses. The catastrophic wildfires currently in California are also predicted to cost upwards of $70 billion, including economic loss. $70 billion. For the fire, and then yeah. seventy billion for all the damage from the hurricane. Well, the hurricane Maria is seventy, Irma is seventy point five, and Harvey is eighty one point five. A hundred and fifty-ish billion dollars. Yeah, oh. more. Just it's it's crazy the amount of money there. But they're saying yeah, there's more this year. Unbelievable. If it feels like it, that's because it does, there is. It is. It's real. Okay. Um, another new Secretary of State Rex Tillerson may be uh, currently in his position. Uh, but his relationship with President Trump has turned famously testy as he has now twice refused to confirm or deny his he's a moron comment. He won't say he did or not. He says it's he's not going to uh, he says it's a juvenile discussion. He's not going to entertain it. He calls him Mr. President, respects the office, supports his agenda, all that kind of stuff. Trump has been weighing replacing Tillerson with CIA director Mike Pompeo. According to reports, after the Trump-Tillerson rift widened publicly, now more reports said uh, this morning Trump is mulling Senator Tim Cotton of Arkansas to replace Pompeo at the CIA. Oh, my heavens. Cotton 40 is open to the switch of a longtime friend. The guy quits his fancy law firm to serve his country in the wake of 9-11. He does his duty when he's called on, all that kind of you know stuff. So, so if Trump moves Pompeo from the CIA to state, then Cotton will move his, from representative to... CIA. Now, let's just say possibly that you didn't. Let's just say that you were Rex Tillerson and you really were struggling with the president. Let's say it's true. Yes. Wouldn't you wouldn't you want that like before the holidays? Yeah, it kind of makes it easier. If you're not doing if you're not liking it and you're struggling with each other, it seems like let's get this thing done. Mm. However, uh, that means a lot of the cabinet (laughs) As a lot of the most important people in the administration have kind of rotated through. Already. Yeah. Hasn't even been a year yet. Yeah. So. Okay. How, is this going to continue? Is there enough uh, qualified people out there to keep filling these spots when people step out because they're done or well, they have and, to and be let like, go? Or? Do you want to be – I mean, ever, didn't we think that there was a, like a love fest between Rex Tillerson and President Trump when this whole thing started? Didn't we think that they were Possibly, pretty tight? Maybe. I mean, he did pick the man, and he yes. did say he was incredibly able and capable and willing. And these are all true. Now, not so much. We're replacing him, maybe yeah. possibly. Possibly. Now, this is all you know. People close to the situation. Yeah, uh, allegedly. But you fake know, news, of course. Smoke and fire is a lot of discussion as of late, and it leads Shh, to don't bring up smoke. And I understand. Fire. Bad analogy, but yeah. you get what I mean. Yeah. In other news, well, last week, last month, September twenty third was supposed to be the end of the world, if you remember. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? Um, apparently, it was not the end of the world. The guy that was quoted as saying it was the end of the world yeah. updated his data. Okay. And he came back saying that it was going to oh, be a different type of event. He carried the wrong number, yeah. Yeah. It's, Bible code can be tough. Oh, it so is. So it says, apparently, we're in for a seven-year tribulation. We've been here many times before, but apparently the end of the world is nice. Some people believe our planet is going to be blighted by tsunamis, earthquakes, and hurricanes, starting... From October 15th, which was yesterday. 
Okay, seven years of of plenty or tr- seven years of tribulation, then seven years of plenty, yep. or was that just someone Joseph? broke a mirror? It's just yeah, seven years of bad luck. So I thought it was Joseph and the technical. The guy's being code. referred to now as a doomsday theorist. Says the chaos will be triggered by the mysterious planet planet X, which NASA says does not exist. That's well, a cell phone, I think. But the guy's like, "Well, that's the you know that's an X also, but okay. this is a planet." Yeah. Says conspiracies suggest it was hurtling towards Earth and would obliterate it on the twenty third of September, but obviously that didn't happen. Now uh, the the doomsday theorist expects this planet to pass the Earth, but will bring with it a number of natural disasters, including volcanic eruptions, because you know gravitational pull Uh-oh. and all that kind of stuff as they. They interact as they pass each other. He says the earthquake in Mexico, the floods in Texas, and the hurricanes in the Caribbean and Florida are all related to his theory. Hmm. What about um, – because that's scary because we talked last week about the Wyoming volcano. Yep, the the Yellowstone supervolcano. Now he's mentioning – which, by the way, again, Wyoming, don't don't mess this up. Keep that thing under control. And in related news, Geostorm comes out this week? Yep, there's a movie, Geostorm. (laughs) Um, the the theorist also says that there is an asteroid named Wormwood. Oh boy, that's a C.S. Lewis, thing. which is a, at least three kilometers in diameter and attached to the debris field that Planet X is bringing with it. So as Planet X passes the Earth, yeah, the asteroid yeah. will actually hit the Earth. Will we get worms? No, but earthquakes and volcanic okay, and all, you know tsunamis and all that kind of stuff. Because I mean, I'd rather maybe have some of that. Than he the says worms. the seven-year tribulation will also involve a nuclear exchange between the U.S., Britain, and our enemies. Hmm. Um, so he's like pretty much just tossing it all in the basket as to what's going to happen. Does he have anything to say about North Korea? Um, he says North Korea is part of that. Our enemies, Russia, China, Iran, North Not Korea. Not part of Wormwood. No, but part of the military action that happens because of just yeah. the general world chaos. Are you and- are you jiggling that paper because you're so afraid? No, I just – it's sound effects. It just makes it feel like you're nervous. Like old-timey radio this is guys would radio read, the, theater. They'd read oh, okay. the newspaper and they'd go, yeah, yeah. got a report. This just in from the teletype. Beep, 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 so beep, it doesn't beep, really show if there's any UFOs involved in this because that would be, the, I think, the natural conclusion to Whoa, this. Well, for sure. But, you know uh, there's got to be a UFO. But he doesn't really point out any sort of – also, UFOs. So wasn't it Planet X that Duck Dodgers and the Martian uh, little Martian guy were Poss- fighting over in Looney Tunes? Possibly. Duck Dodgers or Buck Rogers? Duck Dodgers. Oh, I From didn't the see 23rd that one. and one and a half, half century. century. Yeah. yeah. No way did you guys spend your brain power on that. <laughs> and no way have you retained that. It's, it's a tagline. You remember it. There's a new Black Panther trailer, Terry. Yeah, I saw that today. It was pretty awesome. <clears throat> I've already watched it. I wasn't going to share it. Matt's not interested. It's Terry's more... way into trailers. Comic book. Oh, they're so fun to watch. Just and this is to... a guy that doesn't even have a toe, a toe hitch on his. Or what's it? Yeah, a towing hitch on my car, on your truck, or your car. But you are way into trailers. This is true. It's just like this weekend. I purchased my tickets for the new Thor movie no. coming out in uh, November. I I'm have those sorry. set. I have my Star Wars tickets for December. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Just waiting for Justice League to go on sale so I can go ahead and get the new Justice League movie all set up, ready to go. So so it sounds like your wife's <clears throat> weekends are pretty much packed for the next three months. We're either watching movies or preparing to watch movies. How many of these is she excited to go to? Um, she's pretty interested in all of three of them. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Truly, no, no, she no. is. Let's, if we, let's be real. Okay, like truly. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had to choose between maybe no 
not my level of excitement, obviously. Like more like what my level? <laughs> no, you're you're kind of like you don't really care one way or another. I mean, she actually she you can get them. to every one of these. Like, She's watched the movies. She okay. thought they're interesting and she'd like to see them. Like I show her the trailer and she goes, "Huh." Whereas I'm over here like, did you see that? You know, it's a completely different level of excitement. Yeah. Like how many times have you watched the Star Wars trailer? Four or five. Yeah. Okay. Even McKenna's laughing at you. Thor trailer, I've watched it probably. Oh, McKenna has too. Six or oh, seven. Oh, she's, she's right on board. She's watched him in there with you. Yeah, she's right on board. No problem. Isn't that weird that I'm in here doing a show mm. and you and McKenna are in there watching trailers? I'm, it's called multitasking. Oh, is that what we call mm. it? Okay. So this is. Okay. What? Nothing. You always have this kind of silent judgment. No, it's not a judgment. It's just, and it's not really silent. But it's just exhaustion. What's like, wrong? Why? I don't know. What What's tiring about I enjoy No, it's movies. great. It's great. But you always act tired. Of Yeah. yeah I'm glad t- Jeff's not here. What are you tired of? Because then we'd really be talking about movies. <laughs> I did watch a movie yesterday. What did you watch? Uh, Le Petit Prince. The Little Prince. The cartoon? Yeah, but it's on one of the greatest books ever written. Right. I, I've watched it too, but it's the animated Isn't that great? It's a great did, what did you did you watch it with your son? I did. What would a what did a 6-year-old think of that book? Um that I I thought video? the cuz there's like dream sequence uh-huh. and then there's real life and it's floating back and forth and he was able to stay right with it and he it was, was really able cool. he thought it was really well done. He thought that he I mean most movies he'll watch it and get distracted and go do something yeah. else and he just sat there watching the entire movie. I pretty movie. much I don't know if I mandated it, but my kid, no one could choose a movie. So I just chose that and then the minute I did that everybody got on their phones. Hmm. And then every time I'd look back at my family they were all on their phones. Yeah. You got to take the phones away. Can you turn the Wi-Fi off in the house? Not yet. But then, yeah, I don't think then my movie wouldn't stream. Oh, gotcha. Are you with me? Well, can you turn off individual yeah. devices? No, not yet. Okay. We're, we don't have that technology in our house yet. It's available. It probably – actually, we probably have it. You could just go over – It's not in my head yet. Aren't you the ones paying for the phones? Oh, yeah. So can't you just go say, hey, phones, come on, bring them over here? You know what? I could just go old school and get out the belt. You could do that too. But that didn't work. But if you take the phones away, everyone focuses on the, the movie? But the funny thing is – my son loved it. My teenage son loved it. But they were also doing their um, basketball uh, like fantasy draft, fantasy draft right. last night. So that, again, ruined. Did you pause the movie and fight over power forwards? Yeah, no. They just kept, okay. they just kept Season going. Season starts tomorrow. Yeah, it does. Man, alive. That's why we need our next guest. Mm. Arlene Pelican will be joining us. She's going to be talking to us about how we can uh, be mature adults and get rid of these digital pacifiers. We've got all these little tools that we, we can use to, you know, escape life, soothe ourselves after a tough day. But there really are some important rules as well, especially if we want to help our, our kids uh, understand how to manage life going forward. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We do what we can on the program to give you the tools to make it through life. Up next, one of the great tools about digital technology. of you reached over and grabbed your phone the minute you woke up today yeah it's become a second nature to all of us uh, to have our phones in our hands to be wired uh, every second of our day 
But how is our obsession with technology affecting our families, our health, and our careers? Arlene Pellicane, author of the new book, Calm, Cool, and Connected, says no matter what the world says, a fully charged phone in your pocket with Wi-Fi available can't provide what you need for a calm and cool and connected life. She rejoins us today. She's been on the show many times with us and uh, is talking to us today about how we can use technology more wisely in our homes. Arlene, thank you again for being with us. So good to be with you again, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Love having you. And uh, you you do a lot of work. In fact, uh, you can see the foreword of this book, uh, Calm, Cool, and Connected, with the foreword was written by Gary Chapman. But you've written uh, a few books with him. And uh, so if, if anybody is a fan of the five love languages, yeah, then Arlene has – you are. Everybody – I mean, I, I hear it all over the place. They love that and they love your work. Talk about – um, this uh, technology, because in in a way we it's almost like we've totally destroyed the word connected. <laughs> like it's no longer right. something we use with relationships as much yeah. as it is just something we use with technology. That is interesting. It's like I have access to you. I'm connected to you. I can reach you. But why is it that we are maybe more lonely, more stressed out, more anxious? You know, our, our I love to ask people. You know, are your relationships advancing in the same way? technology is advancing. You know, is technology really helping you be closer to your spouse, your mother, your father, your daughter, your sister, you know, et cetera. And of course it can connect and you can text like meet you in five minutes and that could save you a lot of time. But the texting alone, the social media alone, or if that's the bulk of your relationship time is not enough. And it's like a substitute. It's like eating cotton candy all day and then you get a stomach ache. That's right. And then we can't figure out like, why are we always sick? But part of this, too, I mean, it really is that I guess we're also rel- relatively new to this. So even yeah. the adults don't know how to manage themselves on it, nor do the kids. Yeah, it's so true. I used to think that the technology was neutral, that it just laid in how you used it. But, you know, as more and more research comes out, and there's this book by Adam Alter called Irresistible. And in it, he talked about how you have to realize that there's a thousand people on the other side of the screen programming that social media, that video game. So it's as highly desirable and addictive as possible. So it's kind of not a fair fight. And so for us to realize when we pick up our phone, there's a reason why we keep touching it all day long without really thinking of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like our new habit to every spare moment we just check. Did I get something? Did someone text me? It's because it, you know, our brain is getting used to, hey, there's something new here. You need to check this. Hey, there's some unfinished business here. You need to close the loop. And they know all these things. And so for us to realize, wow, we've got to be really intentional to set some boundaries or else we'll be spending all this time with phone. There was one statistic that I thought was so interesting that said that the average adult touches their phone 46 times a day. And wow. usually when I tell someone that, they'll say, oh, I think I might touch mine more. Yeah, I but can. Yeah. Ask, could you imagine if you touched your spouse 46 times a day, they'd be like, what happened to you? Yes. Are we on a honeymoon or something? That's right. So if we just reached out to a person with the same kind of regularity that we reach out to our phone, you know, what a difference it would make. So it just shows you how dependent and, and accustomed we've become to being really good buddies with our phone. It is so true. And um, so you named the book Calm, Cool, and Connected. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we then have issues about our – calming, our cooling, and our connection? Yeah, that's right. You know, the calm is 
just like what you were saying at, at the open, you know, you start, many of us start the day with a phone. And so it might be the alarm clock and after you turn it off, but then it becomes, oh, did I get any text? Do I have any emails? What do I need to do today? What's the news? And then all of a sudden you're already like worried. You're not calm anymore. And so just by taking that space back for wake up in the morning, take a deep breath, say a prayer of thanks, you know, read something inspirational, read from the Bible, do something. That's already going to make you a whole lot calmer than starting with your phone. And and many times we invite the drama in because we put the draw that oh, there's a lot of drama on our phones, whether it's the news headline or a, a, a needy friend or whatever it is. And so simply by distancing yourself a little bit, you can be cooler, not so reactionary all the time. Yeah. It, it almost seems like we have... I wonder if we have this subconscious guilt going on because we sit there on a Sunday night, everyone's on their phones, we, right. we, we're we all distracted, we're disconnected, and we know deep down that's not good, that's not healthy, but yeah. we don't have enough power, it seems like, in us to overcome it. You know, and a lot of it is, it doesn't, it's like everyone is doing it, so this doesn't really feel that strange. I'm yeah. just doing it like other people. Because a lot of times, maybe one family member will kind of get a hold of this and say, wait a minute, I want to take back meal time so that we have meals together now without screens. Or I want to have game night where we don't play video games, but instead we like are around a table together. You know, but then another member of the family would be like, what's the problem? You know, this is the 21st century. <laughs> like, what's the problem? <laughs> and so, so much of it too is just kind of catching that vision for, hey, if we put this away, what could be happening in this space? And a lot of times it's better. You know, the subtitle of the book is Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life. And I think part of it is just building some good routines that are as natural to you as brushing your teeth. It's realizing, when, hey, when we get together for a meal, phones go away. You know, hey, when we have friends over to the house, and this is a tough one um, for parents and with kids, but hey, we're going to collect the phones and you guys are going to have to figure out what to do. You know, imagine yeah. so things like that, just building new habits into your into your homes. I had one of my kids wake up this weekend and came down, picked up his phone and was right about mm-hmm. to get into trans, into this deep trans, yeah. you know, this transitive state. state. And I'm thinking, <laughs> um, you know, right now, bud, you could you could actually not do that and choose right now. To do something else, and I was, I was like, you know, like you could get into this, you could read a book, you could do whatever. And yeah. he looked at me like I was nuts. Like, right? Like, are you? There s- are no other options, Dad. What are you talking about? Like, this is my routine. So you're saying there's other habits? Maybe start walking us uh, through some of those habits yeah. that you have in the book. Yeah, the H in habit is hold down the off button, and it's the idea that there is a time in the day where you disconnect. You know, if you don't have to be with your phone overnight, you're not an emergency worker, et cetera, then plug in your phone and charge it in a different room and, and don't let it be that last thing that you see at night, first thing in the morning. So have a time where it's off. Maybe it's mealtime. Maybe it's a Saturday. Maybe it's a Thursday night because that's your family time, whatever, but have a time to hold down the off button. Another one um, is the A, always put people first. And there's one thing, practice I love to talk about, and it's called the pivot. And it simply means, you can teach this to your son, it simply yeah. means that when you're on your phone or you're on your iPad or at your computer, if a human being enters your space, you pivot away from your device, give eye contact and say, hi, 
you know, versus what we have be done, you know, like, hey, how's it going, like, over your ear as you continue doing mm-hmm. everything that you're doing on your phone. So simply pivoting away from your device to your spouse, to your son, daughter, incoming guests, whatever, pivot away Face them, eye contact, body language that says, I see you, I'm listening. I mean, it sounds so simple, but how many of us as parents, we talk to our kids, but we don't lift our eyes from our device or from whatever it is we're doing as we're talking. And it makes a huge difference if you will pivot away from your device to put people first and your phone second. That's so true. I mean, because it's, um, I guess that is like a sign Think about it. If, if if you walk in a room with any other thing other than technology and the person didn't notice you, didn't see you, didn't move, didn't budge, and did it consistently, you would think right. there was something really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, though, a lot of times I think you've described what happens in a lot of our homes. Every we're day, kind yeah. Of accustomed, yeah, to looking at, you know, doing whatever it is we're doing. Everyone just kind of comes in, comes out. And it's like, wait a minute, we are missing. That's the true connection, the eye contact, the listening, all those things that need to happen. It's common courtesy to someone on the street and also someone that lives right in your own home. <laughs> yeah, that pays yeah. the bills or um, that exactly. real, that you're married to, that you're committed to. Um, part of it, too, along with the technology, is there's a lot of stuff it brings that can cause that can kind of mess up your sense of what's right and wrong that maybe mm-hmm. distracts you from having yeah. a healthier life or maybe even draws you into an addiction or other problems. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of the habits is to be brushed daily, live with a daily, with a clean conscience, live daily with a clean conscience, because there is a lot out there that's very unsavory, whether it's pornography or whether it's a shopping addiction or whether you're checking in with your ex-boyfriend from 30 years ago on social media, you know, whatever, it's out there. And so just to realize, wait a minute, I need to be proactive about what I'm doing online so I don't wander into these places. And I, you know, I've spoke to couples that are recovering after a porn addiction, and they have found accountability to be absolutely invaluable, to have software that keeps them accountable, to have a group of people that they see on a regular basis that they have to report, how are we doing in this area, all those things, because it is true that there are real addictions. And the thing is, you know, it used to be if you had an addiction like drugs or smoking, even alcohol, you could go, you know, kick it and go clean and just stay away from all that stuff. But your phone, your computer, those things are pretty much with you. And so those are difficult addictions to break because they're right in your pocket. It's, it's much harder because you can't separate yourself in the same way. So for those that are kind of dabbling, it's that warning of like, don't cross the line because you don't want to fall into those addictions. So they're very difficult to shake. Well, I didn't, I didn't think of that. Um... I mean, it used to be we'd kind of proactively have to go choose the next thing to do and then go do the next right. thing. But now yeah. you can actually sit here with literally nothing to do and then yeah. start just surfing and go yeah. from app to app to app to app. And there's going to be something you want to do and somewhere. And it could be completely unintentional. Like you click on something and it was a mistake. You know, this could happen to a son, to a daughter. And it's like, oh, no. And so it's this idea of like, what do I do when I get here and let me get out of this as soon as possible. And just to realize that it's, it's a, it's always a dangerous place. You've got to guard your mind, guard your heart. Oh, wow. Um, Talk about, uh, I guess when we get into some of this, there's this, this, uh, um, 
I don't know how you put it. it it's mm-hmm. it, it, technology will act on you, and what's weird is then there's this social status side of it where you're not cool. Like if you don't, if you don't have it, you're not the in yeah. person. And right, I mean, so how do we balance keeping? Our kids active and involved with their friend groups and getting skilled on all of these tools that they're going to need in their life without them getting too sucked in? Yeah, it's a great question. I think A is modeling. How do they see you use it? You know, you as an adult are using it to stay in touch with your friends, stay in touch with a church group. You know, you have activities, groups that you get information from, et cetera. So let, let them watch you that you use it, but that you're not on it all the time, that you're not obsessive about it, that you're not complaining like, oh, so-and-so didn't like my picture, but, you know, like you yourself take the drama out of all of those things. And then I think talking with that teenager, with that child about what's the purpose of this technology. Like, for instance, before you give the cell phone to your child, instead of like everyone in the whole class has one except me, okay, let's go to the store. So don't have that conversation. (laughs) Instead, ask, you know, what do you need it for? Well, I need to keep in touch with my band group. They like, you know, they text when we're supposed to meet. Okay, well, they can text me and I can easily tell you where it meets. Okay, next, you know. And so you can kind of go through that idea of like, what do you need this for? And then I love to tell parents be countercultural and push that stuff back as much as you can. Because the sooner, think of it as adults, how we are so drawn to our phones. And we're adults with like mature brains, supposedly. <laughs> right. So you give that to a child, to an upper elementary student, middle school or high schooler. How are they supposed to regulate that? Oh, you know, I should put my phone down now. You know, they don't know that. And so for us as parents to kind of push that back as much as possible and to realize, yes, they may lose out. So, for instance, my son is in eighth grade and he doesn't have a phone. So he doesn't know what people are saying about him on social media. He doesn't know if something happened, you know, maybe something happened and he walks into class and he doesn't know. But it's okay. Like, you know, he can figure it out from what's happening around him. And his friends, you know, they talk in real life. <laughs> it's going to be okay. And the thing is, yes, they might miss out on something. And I think that's what we're afraid of as parents. But think of what they're gaining. Right. Gain that they're not addicted to this device. They might miss a lot of the snarky, abusive, bullyish, uh, you know, sexual, whatever, all that stuff. Yeah, so they might feel left out, but they also didn't get texted at 11 o'clock at night saying, I'll meet you at the bathroom, you know? So, yeah, right. So you have to kind of choose what do you want them to miss out on? And I think a lot of times taking technology and waiting until they're older, that's always a good choice. Um, what do you do uh, just because your mom, you've got these kids, you yeah. get it, you get what we're kind of what we go through day in and day out. Yeah. It's not going away. And right. so so part of this is um, also, I guess, uh, but, but teaching them because anxiety has been going up for teens and um, yeah. bullying has been going up, suicide has been going up, all of these things. And who knows if there's a direct correlation to technology mm-hmm. use, but we know there is in some other research. Um, where does where have you found is the best way to to improve their confidence, to improve their calmness and their uh, you know even their spirituality? How do you yeah. go about instilling that and making that a better option than just taking the tech away? Yeah, one thing that has been huge 
is I am in a group called Moms in Prayer. It's uh, it's all over the world in 147 countries. And the idea is very simple, two praying moms for every school, so that two moms would pray for their children specifically and also for the school they attend. Hmm. So I have done this ever since um, my son was in first grade. And so when you are praying with other people specifically for your child, for God to give them peace, for God to give them discernment, to know between right and wrong, you know, and you're doing that, that gives you as a parent a huge amount of confidence going into it. So that's, I think, a great suggestion is is, uh, joining some kind of prayer group for your children and then even praying out loud over your children so they hear you. So they know, like, okay, God can help calm my fears. So if they have anxiety, that you can ask God, God, help my child, give them your peace. You know, and that peace is not the absence of trouble, but it is that presence of divine order in their life. And that can be possible even in a screen-soaked world, you know? Yeah, so yeah. just give them that confidence that God is with you. And then, and, and not to instill this fear, like, okay, honey, be safe out there. There's a lot of phones out there. That's no, right. It's not fear. There's not a fear in it. And, you know, you see these things can be used, but that you give them wisdom, like, okay, don't get sucked in like everybody else, <laughs> you know. So I think that, that that stance of not being afraid, but being confident because you know God is with you, and then providing leadership for that student, because a lot of us parents, once we get the pushback and once we get the tears and you're the worst mom ever, you're the worst dad ever, you don't understand a thing, you know, then we're like, okay, fine. Like, it's hard to bear all that. Yeah. But if you provide that leadership of saying, this is how it's going to be in our family, at the end of the day, even if it's 10 years from now, I think your child will say thank you. It's so true. I mean, and and especially if they see you modeling it. Arlene Pelican, yeah. thank you so much. Great insight. The book, again, is Calm, Cool, and Connected, Five Digital Habits for a More Balanced Life. Again, the foreword was written by uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, one of the great uh, great uh, books that, uh, I, I don't know, that I think has helped more people in marriage. The Five Love Languages. Interesting stuff. Uh, trying to help you get the tools you need to make it through this tech-driven world and really do so in a way that your kids want to be with you as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back continuing the journey. It's time, folks, uh, to head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Uh, today, it's Jerem and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. We're there. Hi, Matt. How are you guys? Mm. Somebody's sad about the Chiefs. Really fun time right now. It's not that. It's, it's not that. Oh, is it about the Cougars? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> six in a row, man. Yeah, I know. But see, now, you know what that means? Now they're going to run the table. Strength of, schedule would say, strength of schedule would say yes. But what do you think? ESPN's Football Power Index gives a percentage chance of running the table what to percent? each team from the, yeah. from the moment. What does it say about Los Pumas? Chance of winning out 3.2%. 3.2? Holy cow. And that's, that's with uh, a bunch of uh, cupcakes down the stretch, right? Wow. But guess what? BYU's a cupcake right now, okay? A, yeah. a delicious one, but a cupcake. Ah. At East Carolina this Saturday, BYU opened up a seven and a half point favorite on the East Coast. Okay. Uh, that's because East Carolina's given up a ton of points. Uh, 
San Jose stayed at home. We uh, will know the time for that kickoff, by the way, today hmm. uh, and TV. At Fresno State, at UNLV, home to UMass, at Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. So could be why you win six in a row. Totally. But if they play the way they played, no. 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 BYU is headed for a losing season, no bowl game. That's what they're headed for unless they figure it out. Now they play lesser competition, but it's bigger than the schedule, Matt. It really is. When you look at yeah. what happened this season, it is bigger than, wow, those teams were really tough, and now these teams aren't as tough. It's not that simple. You don't, you don't rationally go, okay, I have acted this way forever. Now I'm going to completely turn and not act that way ever again. Yeah, like, no. Like, chances are you, you, you grow, you progress, you get better, but it's not like cold turkey, right? BYU's hoping for a cold turkey Stop smoking, if you will, suddenly never smoking. They're hoping for a Carl Malone 360 turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they're hoping for? <laughs> that's what Carl said. Yeah, that's yeah, a complete good, 360. A complete, a complete 360. Hold it. Well, that's, that's not what we want, right Carl. Back where you started. <laughs> that just puts us right there again. <laughs> you understand that's what that so means. great. <laughs> I love Carl Malone. He's the best. Um, so, okay, but now here's the thing for you, or, or answer me this. What about so it's not just a schedule thing is it is it next year is there something coming up next year that we think oh that'll be the difference next season will be different or is it an entire kind of program thing uh, look nobody I, saw this coming yeah okay. nobody yeah. yeah good i mean it, this was not on the radar which is what makes it so much more perplexing right that this is what we're seeing this year and, you know, you, you hear from Kalani after the games that the bottom line is they've just got to figure out a way to fix it. And so they're searching for the reasons why and how to fix it. So, I mean, it's, it, is a, it is a conundrum for all involved. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, is can you imagine anything more nerve-wracking and frustrating? And, and then even thinking, maybe we got it this week, and then, ugh. So we'll yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it'd be nice to win. I mean, they'll win some of these, right? Yes, yes, they it, will. it's yes. a matter of is BYU going to win four of the three, four, five, six of these? I mean, okay. it's, BYU's beating UMass. They're beating San Jose State. They're probably beating East Carolina. They should beat UNLV. I believe though, four of the remaining six are on the road. Yes, mm. and uh, at like. At Fresno State and at Hawaii are the ones where I go. Okay, those are more challenge. Those are the two most challenging. Yes, I would agree. So we'll we'll see what happens here. Does BYU mix it up at quarterback? Because Tanner Mangum's ten and one against non-power five teams. Yeah, he's zero and seven against power five teams. So are you more or less inclined to start him Saturday? That's right. a question that BYU's got to figure out this week. Do, do you throw in Joe Critchlow because you're like, hey, it ain't working with Tanner Mangum. I don't know. Maybe do you let his ankle heal up a little bit. Yeah, you see what the other guy can do. Just given how you throw up one seventy six of total O on Saturday, that's uh, just that's crazy bad. Crazy bad. Okay. So you you guys probably won't end up talking about any of this on your show. <laughs> no, 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 no. We just talk about it now, <laughs> about and basketball. then we completely discard no, it for the actual show. Yeah, then on your show, it's all basketball. Yeah, we're talking about uh, Dodgers and uh, and Cubs. Oh, Excuse wow. Me, Dodgers and Small Bears. Is Jeff? Small Bears. <laughs> is Jeff there today? No, he's he actually— He, he partied went, hard? He partied hard, Did yeah. he go to the game? He, he went to game one, yep. He went to game one? I believe it was game one, and then I'm sure he was in L.A. for game two. But, you know, that was on the Sabbath. So we're not going to discuss it. 
Yeah. Even if you went, even okay. if you went, we won't know. No, no, no. It's it's just it's not. Discussed. Sounds like you went to the wrong game, Matt. I know totally. <laughs> I think you're right. He um he's uh so he'll be back tomorrow. So we're gonna pick his brain. Spencer as well. Oh my heavens! I might be gone. I don't know. No, stay. I need I need a day. I was gonna no. say there's zero chance you're gone. You have too busy of a day tomorrow. You're well, not... in the morning. I can. Oh well, that's true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. I won't be gone. I can't be gone all day. No. No. Anyway, you're, you're too valuable. Funny. What else is on your show today? That's not it. ESPN's Trevor Maddich. Uh, what does he see in terms of why this is happening? And does he think BYU will win six in a row? What does he think? Mm. Should BYU mix it up a quarterback? We ask him all those questions. Cool. Mondays Plus, with Maddich. What's your headline for BYU football today? Use the hashtag BYUSN. That's our Twitter question. That's we exciting. will discuss. And head coach Kalani Stake. Says the realest, truest thing about the offense that anyone has said this season. We'll play that soundbite coming up. Truth bombs. Truth bombs. <laughs> Straight ahead. Truth bombs. <laughs> That's so good. Well, guys, I'm excited for you. It sounds like a great day, even though. It's not the word I would use, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> um, well, I'll even let you go early just to go get ready. I mean, Thanks. actually to it. go maybe get out of the funk a little bit. Wipe the tears. I need to go get some cupcakes after that uh, Ooh, yeah. comment earlier in the interview. Here. Well, we've got a few. East Carolina, <laughs> San Jose State, Fresno State. <laughs> cupcakes sounded yeah. pretty good right now yeah. on many levels. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, guys, knock them dead. Have a great show. Thanks. Remember who you are. Thank you. We will return with honor. Return with honor. The promise. Yeah. That's ah. <laughs> <sighs> I miss those guys. Boy, they got a hard job. How do you have a losing season like BYU is having and then go be the sports show? That's a lot of pressure. Anyway, pressure we don't feel here on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a quick break, and up next we're going to do a a little bit of uh, maybe a little coach's corner for you as well as some empty news and, of course, the hero of the day. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. You know, what do you do when you are um, a, the five-time Super Bowl-winning Patriots team and you have a plane and you need, to, you need to have your plane painted? What you do is you paint the five trophies on the tail uh, fin of your plane. It's the coolest thing ever. Your, pa- your, your plane says Patriots, and then on the back, for any of you that think, you know, we're not very good, we have five Super Bowl trophies. I don't know what the rest of you were doing. Anyway, that's pretty cool for them. Uh, let's get to our hero story because, you know, in the end, it comes right down to the heroes, the the healthy, the good, those that can actually help some of us when we're down and out. Today's hero, uh, inmates serving in Texas prison, have uh, also found a way to help those impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Officials say Texas prison inmates donated more than $53,000 from their commissary funds to the American Red Cross to be used for hurricane relief. Texas Department of Criminal Justice spokesman Jason Clark says more than 6,600 inmates donate the money between August 31st and September 30th. Harvey made landfall in Texas as a Category 4 hurricane on August 25th. The commissary funds are used uh, by inmates to buy food and supplies while they are incarcerated. And this wasn't the first time Texas prison inmates have donated money to help with natural disasters. They also did it after Katrina. So that's pretty cool. They they hardly have anything anyway. Their commissary is pretty much all they got, and they still ended up donating a lot of it to to uh, the American Red Cross. Cool stuff. 
Heroes of the Day, folks. And that is the show. Happy Monday to you. We'll be back again tomorrow with more news, information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. But stick with us because up next is BYU Sports Nation.